committee will come to order. When we recessed, we were considering the amendment offered by Mr. Gates. We will continue that consideration now. And I now for what purpose does Mr. Buck seek recognition? Move to strike the last word. Gentleman is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman, I've, I've heard continually from the other side this argument about obstruction of justice, obstruction of Congress, rather, I apologize. And I am baffled, and the more I think about it, the more I'm baffled. In Colorado, we have a different term for that. We call it a campaign promise. You see, when Congress has a 14% approval rating, it's somewhere between being as popular as shingles and an all-expense-paid trip to North Korea. We have a national deficit, a national debt of over $22 trillion. We have a deficit of over $1 trillion this year. We were sent here to obstruct this Congress. We were sent here to make sure that this power of the purse is actually exercised around this place. We were sent here to make sure that we didn't nationalize and ruin health care. We were sent here to secure the border and to do our very best to prohibit sanctuary cities in this country. We were sent here to stop this body from ignoring states' rights. Yesterday, we passed the NDAA bill. Somehow, someone slipped in a provision that every federal employee, every federal, not just Defense Department employees, but every federal employee will be given three months of paid family leave. Every federal employee. All those Americans sitting out there don't get that. It's exactly why we're here, to make sure that we hold Congress to a higher standard. And if you issue an article of impeachment for obstructing Congress, you're going to make this president more popular, not less popular. Congress is an embarrassment. And this president is holding his campaign promises, moving the embassy to Jerusalem, cutting taxes, cutting regulations, sustaining a, an amazing economy with low unemployment, job creation, bringing manufacturing jobs back, negotiating trade deals. I think that we should be talking about how we support this president, how we support this agenda, and not how we undermine the positive direction that we are going in this country. And with that, I yield back. Will the gentleman yield for a question? No. Gentleman yielded back. Uh, for what purpose does Ms. Lesko seek recognition? Thank you, Mr. Chair. To strike the last word. Uh, gentlelady is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Democrats' are articles of impeachment claim that the president had corrupt purposes in pursuit of personal political benefit used to influence the 2020 United States presidential election. Well, they have absolutely no proof of that. Let's read the actual transcript of the phone call in question. 
And I want to remind you, for the people that read it, there's only one section in this entire transcript, and it's not till page four out of five, that President Trump brings up Biden, which was well into the July 25th call. President Trump said to the Ukrainian president, and I quote, the other thing, there's a lot of talk about Biden's son, that Biden stopped the prosecution, and a lot of people want to find out about that, so whatever you can do with the attorney general would be great. Biden went around bragging that he stopped the prosecution, so if you can look into it, it sounds horrible to me. To anyone who hasn't seen the video of Joe Biden bragging that he got a prosecutor fired, I recommend you watch it. It's very telling. Biden brags about how he got the Ukrainian prosecutor fired who had been investigating Burisma. Burisma, to remind you, is the corrupt Ukrainian company that hired Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, to serve on their board at the very same time that Vice President Biden was the point man to Ukraine. Hmm. Joe Biden says he told Ukraine he wouldn't give them $1 billion if they didn't fire the prosecutor. He said, and I quote, if the prosecutor is not fired, you're not getting the money. Put yourself in President Trump's shoes. He has seen or heard about the video of Joe Biden bragging about how he got the prosecutor fired. The same prosecutor that had been investigating the same corrupt company where Biden's son got a cushy spot on the board getting paid at least $50,000 a month at the same time that Joe Biden, while serving as vice president, was the point man to Ukraine. My Democratic colleagues seem convinced that the president was targeting Biden to influence the 2020 election. That is their main premise of these articles of impeachment. But it is just as likely, and I would say more likely, that President Trump wanted to get to the bottom of possible corruption with the Bidens, Burisma, and Ukraine. And with that, I yield back. The gentlelady yields back. I now recognize myself for five minutes to strike the last word. And I just want to say the central issue of this impeachment is the corruption of our institutions that safeguard democracy by this president. Those are two basic protections we have for our democracy. Free and fair elections, and the president, in Article 1, is charged with trying to subvert the free and fair elections by extorting a foreign power into interfering in that elections to give him help in his campaign. We cannot tolerate a president subverting the fairness and integrity of our elections. The second major safeguard of our liberties designed by the framers of the Constitution, is the separation of powers. That power is not united in one dictator, but is spread out through the executive, the represented by the president, the Congress, and the judiciary. 
The second article of impeachment charges that the President sought and seeks to destroy the power of Congress. Congress may be unpopular, and maybe we should be reelected, or maybe we shouldn't be reelected. That's a question for the voters. But the institutional power of Congress to, to safeguard our liberties by providing a check and a balance on the executive is absolutely crucial to the constitutional scheme to protect our liberties. Central to that is the ability to investigate the actions of the executive branch, to see what's going on, and to hold the executive, the president, or people working for him accountable. The second article of impeachment says that the president sought to destroy that by categorically withholding all information from an impeachment inquiry. Now, that is different from contesting uh, some subpoenas on the basis of privilege. Some may be contestable, some may not be. But a categorical withholding of information, we will, we will prohibit anybody in the executive branch from complying with any congressional subpoena, no matter how justified. We will make sure that nobody in the executive branch gives any document to Congress with respect to this inquiry. It is a subversion of the congressional power to keep the executive in check. So whether you think Congress is behaving well or badly, whether it's popular or unpopular, if you want a dictator, then you subvert the ability of Congress to hold the accountable to hold the executive in check. What is central here is do we want a dictator? No matter how popular he may be, no matter how good or bad the results of his policies may be, no president is supposed to be a dictator in the United States. And when I hear colleagues of mine arguing that, co that Congress is unpopular and therefore obstruction of Congress is a good thing, this shows terrible ignorance or a lack of care for our institutions, for our democracy, for our form of government, and for our liberties. I, for one, will protect our liberties, will do everything I can to protect our liberties, our democracy, our free and fair elections, and the separation of powers that says Congress and the President and the judiciary check each other, and no, nobody can be a dictator. I yield back. Mr. Chairman. And I, Mr. Chairman. Mr. No. Mr. I now recognize Mr. Johnson. For what purpose does Mr. Johnson see recognized? Strike the last word. The gentleman is recognized. Mr. Chairman, I would speak to the Gates Amendment, which is why we're here right now, but I wanted to address what you just said. I think it's a, that's a really beautiful argument. I think you should make it in court, because that's what you're supposed to do under our system. If you want to make that argument, you're supposed to go to a federal court, the third branch of government, to resolve a dispute between the executive and the legislative. That's what's always happened before, but you guys won't do it. You could go make that argument, but you're not going to do it. You know why? Because you guaranteed your base you'd get an impeachment by December, by Christmas. This is ridiculous. It's a travesty of justice and all due process, and that's why we're so concerned. Now, I do love the Gates Amendment, and to reset the table, because we just had a break, it's a really good one. I think the people back home aren't able to follow it because they don't have all the handouts, but this is all he wants to do. So on page 3, at lines uh, uh, 10 through 11, it currently reads that President Trump suggested an investigation of, quote, a political opponent, former Vice President Joseph R. Biden, Jr., unquote. So Mr. Gates's amendment is real simple. It's just three lines. He's, he wants to replace that with, quote, a well-known corrupt company, Burisma, and its corrupt hiring of Hunter Biden, unquote. 
Now, that's such a logical amendment because it comports with the facts and everything we've been saying here that a lot of people back home are probably scratching their heads right now and saying, well, I wonder why the Democrats would oppose that. Well, here's why. A constituent sent me a, a note during, during our, uh, our break for the vote series, and he said this, quote, let me get this straight. President Trump's phone call amounts to an abuse of power, but Vice President Biden's actions do not? Let's review what we know. I, I, I pulled those facts. Let me go through them here real quick. First, in Biden's case, he personally withheld U.S. aid until the prosecutor he wanted fired was actually fired. Biden received a personal benefit for his official act, namely the ability of his son to continue to collect money from a corrupt Ukrainian company. Hunter and Joe Biden had a direct financial stake in avoiding an investigation of Burisma that might lead to the company's demise. Then his gravy train would stop. Of course, this is just obvious. Everybody can see it. There was an article in the New York Times that was published in May, May 1st, 2019, stated the following about the Ukrainian prosecutor's ouster, quote, among those who had a stake in the outcome was Hunter Biden, Mr. Biden's younger son, who at the time was on the board of an energy company owned by a Ukrainian oligarch who had been in the sights of the fired prosecutor general, unquote. And of course, Joe Biden had a personal interest in avoiding a political scandal involving his son. Clearly, a requested informational investigation into Biden's dealings was justified as an informational investigation into an abuse of power by the previous administration. But of course, if President Trump's requested informational investigation was justified, then no impeachment charge against him is justified. It, it, it can't be an abuse of power by President Trump to inquire about an abuse of power that's so painfully obvious by Vice President Biden. In other words, any theory of impeachment on these facts has to collapse on itself, and it ends up exonerating President Donald J. Trump. That's the reason they won't accept the amendment, but it's why every single one of us who is looking at these facts objectively really has an obligation to do it. Now, I have a, a minute and a half left. Let me correct something else here is in the record. We have a lot of facts to correct, and we may be here a while doing that. Uh, my, my good friend and trusted friend, Ms. Lofren, said uh, before the break at some point that uh, the Ukrainians knew about the hold on the aid. But the fact is that senior Ukrainian government officials did not know about the delay in funding until August 28th. Ukrainian embassy officials who contacted State Department and DOD officials were reportedly acting rogue with the then Ukraine ambassador to the U.S. and working to withhold information from Kiev to undermine the new Zelensky administration, the swamp drainer, the guy who was going to clean up the corruption that President Trump affirmed later. Andrei uh, Yermak has publicly confirmed that the president's close advisors, President Zelensky's close advisors, had no knowledge of the hold until it was made public by the Politico article on August 28th. Look, that is the fact. Like everything else is tr they're trying to obscure here, you can't take your eye off the ball. I know this is hard to follow uh, back home from, from conscientious constituents of ours and citizens who are trying to do their duty, trying to be informed and engaged as an electorate. It's hard to follow, but what, what you have to know is that both the process and the substance of these arguments is, is, uh, is completely empty. It's vapid. That's why we're wasting our time here. I'm, I'm out of time, and I'll yield back. The gentleman yields back. Uh, for our purposes, Mr. Stanton, seek recognition. Mr. Chairman, I move to strike the last word. Gentleman is recognized. There's been some discussion today as to what is the reason why we are here. It's been suggested by some that we are here because we disagree with the president and his policies. A few moments ago, we heard a list of some policies where there actually might be some disagreement 
with the President of the United States. Um, you know, we do have some policy disagreements with the President of the United States. We do disagree strongly about separating children from the parents at the southern border. We do disagree strongly with this President in his attempt to eliminate pre-existing condition protections under the Affordable Care Act. We disagree strongly with this President about his decision to remove us from the International Climate Change Accord. But none of those are the reasons we are here today, voting today on articles of impeachment. We are only here today voting on these two articles of impeachment because this president has chosen to put his personal interest ahead of the national interest. We are only here today because this president chose to attempt to withhold public resources in order to gain an unfair advantage in an election. That is the reason why we are here. That's the only reason why we are here. We are here voting on these two articles, but we're also here for the very important principle. Is any person above the law? That's what each member has to think about as they make this important decision not trying to divert attention from the core facts or try to make this important vote today about something other than it is. That's what we need to focus on, and I hope we will for the rest of this hearing. And at this point, I will yield to the gentlelady from Texas, Congresswoman Escobar. Thank you, Mr. Stanton. There is much reference, there have, has been much reference made to the transcript, and I use air quotes uh, because it's not an official transcript. I want to remind everyone that this was a document provided to us by the White House with ellipses in the document, and we don't know exactly what uh, was stated because it is not an official document. Much has been made also about this idea of the use of uh, do us a favor, as though the United States of America and foreign policy experts and State Department experts were clamoring to get infor information on Burisma or information on Hunter Biden or Joe Biden. We heard from Mr. Goldman last week and I asked him specifically if his committees had investigated that claim, that there was some legitimate concern by the government about corruption regarding Burisma. And he said they thoroughly investigated it and found absolutely no evidence. Mr. Trump is welcome to be here. He was welcome to be here. He was welcome to participate, his lawyers, so that he, if he has any information that would exonerate him about this, he could present it at any time. He's not. Now let's compare that to the fact that he has prohibited witnesses from coming before our committee and other committees. He has prevented documents from seeing the light of day. He has intimidated witnesses. So let's remember that he is doing absolutely everything possible to hide his wrongdoing. If he could prove otherwise, he would. Now compare that with the information that was created through the investigations. Over 300 pages in a report, over 70, or 17 witnesses, over 200 text messages. That's just 
what was able to make light of day. That's just what we were able to discover because of patriots willing to come forward. So again, I would say if there's any evidence that the American gover government or our foreign policy advisors or experts or, or, or the diplomats that dealt with Ukraine believed that this was about us, then the president <coughs> can show the evidence. Thank you, Mr. Stanton. I yield back. Thank you very much. And Mr. Chair, I yield back to you. Gentleman yields back for what purposes, Mr. Deutsch, seek recognition. Uh, move to strike the last word. Gentleman is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mr. Chairman, the, um, our colleague from Louisiana is exactly right. It, it gets confusing. It does. There's a lot that we've been talking about, which is why it's so important to always return to the facts. And um, I just wanted to set a couple of facts straight. Um, we, we heard that we were somehow sent here, members of Congress are somehow sent here to defend the president or to defend the president's policies or, um, or to defend an overturning of the status quo. I didn't really understand the suggestion because the fact is, and I think everyone on the dais, everyone in our committee, everyone in America knows and needs to be reminded, we're sent here to defend the Constitution. And the Constitution provides three co-equal branches of government. And when the President of the United States chooses to uh, refuse to engage with the co-equal branch of government that is this body, uh, when the President, through his lawyer, makes clear that he will not respect the Constitution, will silence anyone who might have information to provide to Congress will, will instruct them to not turn over a single document, uh, that is the obstruction of Congress we're talking about. And, and the suggestion that uh, it's somehow standard operating procedure in the United States of America for a president to defy Congress completely and then for our friends to, on the other side to throw up their hands and say, ah, every president does it. The way that we resolve these issues is to go to court. We have three co-equal branches of government. If one branch says they're going to completely obstruct the business of the second, then we just go to court. That's the way it works in our country. Again, it's important to remind people of the facts and the Constitution. That's not how it works. It doesn't work that way. It's never worked that way. Never in the entire history of our country have we had a president of the United States simply defy a co-equal branch altogether. There's no example. My friends on the other side of the aisle cannot point to a single example where a president has said, I will not cooperate with you in any part of your work, period, this is not a legitimate effort. You are not a co-equal branch of government. And then simply says, but you can go to court because that's how things always work. Again, it's just important to remember the facts are clear. No president has ever, ever, ever obstructed Congress in the manner that we've seen from President Trump. With the gentleman, you uh, In a moment. And so as as we go forward, and we might, I don't know how much longer we'll be here, it's always important 
to, to make sure that the facts are clear and that we don't muddy the waters by suggesting that something that is so unprecedented that we've never <clears throat> seen before in the history of our country is somehow just part and parcel of the way things work around here. They don't. We know it. My friends on the other side of the aisle know it. The American people know it. But Mr. Johnson's right. Sometimes it's important to remind them of it. I yield will, to my Will friend. the gentleman yield for Thank a question? Thank you, Mr. Deutsch. Um, I just want to add a, a little constitutional postscript to underscore the very important point that uh, Mr. Deutsch is making here. The Article One of the Constitution gives the House of Representatives the sole power of impeachment. It gives the Senate the sole power of trial. In a Supreme Court decision called United States versus Nixon, the Supreme Court emphasized that the rules and the procedures developed, including the evidentiary rules, are completely within the power of the House and the Senate and cannot be second-guessed by the courts. And in terms of general congressional oversight, the gentleman is perfectly correct. The Supreme Court has emphasized that the fact-finding investigative power of Congress is essential to, integral to, and built into our legislative power. James Madison said that those who mean to be they're, those who mean to be their own governors must arm themselves with the power that knowledge gives. And where does Congress get the knowledge to legislate for the people? We get it through subpoenas, through the discovery process, and so on. No administration in history has ever attempted to do what this administration has done, which is to pull the curtain down over the executive branch and to deny us all of the investigative requests that we have. I yield back. The gentleman yields back. Uh, uh, do I? I do. I'm in. Uh, for what purpose does the gentleman seek recognition? Move strike last word. Gentleman's recognized. Thank you. Um, look, we're going to be here a long time tonight, and don't let anybody worry. There's plenty of balls we can go to. So if anybody thinks that might be in our mess, don't worry about it. Keep asking, because if we have to fact check you all all night, we will, because this is all that's been happening right now. Let's go back to the transcript. The transcript, every witness testified that the transcript was fine, <coughs> that the transcript was accurate, the transcript reflected the call. Everyone who testified to that, they were able to make additions, they were able to make a process. Talk about ellipses. You want to talk about ellipses? Look at, the, you know, they should have put the ellipses in the articles of impeachment. The wide gaps here of, of fact and logic are amazing in this. So, I mean, this is, let's, let's go back to the facts. Let's, let's get back uh, to what we're saying. I do appreciate uh, the fact that my friend from Florida, uh, Mr. Deutsch, said that we're muddying the waters. The way that we have tried to get these facts out today and what I've heard from my majority colleagues over the last six hours, if this was a muddying the waters, y'all are an EPA hazardous waste site at this point. This is muddying the waters because you don't have the facts to get to where you need to get to, and you just want to continue to say, well, it was, it was, it was. We just don't like him. Even the chairman. This is about an issue of when we go back that we're trying to get a dictator. I love how we throw these words in. We're trying to stop a dictator. We're trying to stop a dictator. That's not what you're trying to do. You're using inflammatory language because you want to make a better point because right now your facts are failing. And you put two articles of impeachment that you really don't want to defend because either you defend them passionately and you look sort of silly doing it or you don't defend it and you look even worse for bringing them. So, again, we can fact-check this all night. We're here to, to do this. this is, it is just amazing, though, that after three and a half hours earlier, laying out everything that happened, looking at what uh, went forward, these, these actually going forward are not what is happening here. So, again, let's, let's, let's get it one thing clearly. For those who may have tuned back in after lunch, maybe after nap, the transcripts were accurate. You know how I know that? Because everybody testified that they were. Even Fiona Hill said the ellipses didn't mean that was not even an issue for them. 
the transcript was accurate. So let's quit perpetrating that uh, discussion point out there. That talking point, let's mark off our list. Let's discuss the fact of us is accuracy. It's actually called reading. You read the transcript as it is put in. It, was, it said us, not me. These are the kind of things that are simple as we go forward. With that, I yield to Mr. Jordan. I thank the uh, ranking member for yielding. I just wanted to go back to something the gentlelady from Texas uh, mentioned a few minutes ago. She Good questioned lady. whether the transcript was complete. Remember what Colonel Vindman testified to. He said it was complete and accurate. Lieutenant Colonel Vindman said that in his deposition, in, his, in, the, in the testimony in the hearing, complete and accurate transcript. So to, say, to suggest that it's not is just not consistent with the testimony we received from your witnesses. Remember, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman's the same guy who wouldn't tell us all the folks he talked to about the call. Wouldn't tell us. He said he shared the call with five people, but would only tell us four of those individuals. But that's the guy who told us that the transcript was complete and accurate. I yield back to the ranking member. I yield to the gentleman from Louisiana, Mr. Johnson. Thank you very much. I just want to uh, respond to my colleague over here, Mr. Raskin. He's, he was a constitutional law professor. I was a constitutional law litigator for 20 years. We could uh, debate this all day long, but you just misstated U.S. v. Nixon, okay? And, and I don't want to get too deep in the weeds for the folks back home, but this is really important. In that case, in 1974, the, the Supreme Court recognized the existence of executive privilege, which is a protection that requires a balance of, of interests between the legislative and executive branches by the judicial branch. But here's the important thing. They said in that case, there's not an absolute unqualified presidential privilege of immunity from judicial process under all circumstances. That's the quote from the court. But the, correlation, the other side of that is true as well. Congress doesn't have an absolute unqualified authority to demand evidence from the president either. That's the whole reason that you have to go to the third branch of the judiciary. This is a legitimate claim of privilege. It is a legitimate issue that the courts could decide. It is a, a case of first impression, as my colleague knows, because this specific set of facts has not been addressed yet, and it should be resolved by the courts. Professor Turley addressed this in his testimony to this committee, and he said, quote, he wrote in his submission, the answer is obvious. A president cannot substitute his judgment for Congress on what they're entitled to see, and likewise, Congress cannot substitute its judgment as to what the president can withhold. The balance of those interests is performed by the third branch that is constitutionally invested with the authority to review and resolve such disputes. Would my friend yield? Wait a minute. Yep. That's the answer. So if we're going to cite Supreme Court cases, let's put it in the appropriate context and let's, context and let's acknowledge my friend, that my, this is an issue. I'll yield 20 seconds. Go thank ahead. you. Um, okay, we're citing different cases. Sorry. I'm talking about the 1993 Judge Walter Nixon case, which well, went Well, as I remind court. the gentleman we're, from the constitutional scholars on both sides of this argument, it's my time, not right, Sorry, I'm sorry. Oh. Yield back. <laughs> Fair enough. We, we, we had two we'll different Nixon in, cases. No, Mr. Raskin, we're done with this. I yield back my All time. Right. <laughs> Gentleman yields back. For what purposes does Ms. Dean seek recognition? I move to strike the last word. Gentlelady is recognized. Uh, you know, let, let's go back. Uh, as has been stated today, the Constitution devotes only a few sentences to impeachment. So I'm going to read one. It's Article 1, Section 2, the very last sentence. The House of Representatives shall choose their speaker and other officers and sh shall have the sole power of impeachment. As Professor Raskin just told us, Properly, the Constitution uses the word sole only twice. Sole, not shared. Not shared with the judiciary, not shared with the executive. This means that we have the, the sole opportunity and obligation, frankly, to determine what evidence is necessary for impeachment. Sole, not shared with the executive. 
Think back. Judiciary Chairman Peter Rodino warned President Nixon about his failure to comply with subpoenas, subpoenas issued in the Watergate impeachment inquiry. Under the Constitution, it is not within the power of the President to conduct an inquiry into his own impeachment to determine which evidence and what version or portion of that evidence is relevant and necessary to such an inquiry. These are matters which under the Constitution, Rodino wrote, the House has the sole power to determine. Sole not shared with the executive. Sole not shared with the courts. It's a civics lesson. Don't let the other side, who have such talented constitutional attorneys over there, distract you. This is not an ordinary dispute, folks. This is a very rare, thankfully, very rare dispute. It is not an ordinary dispute where you go to the court. We don't need permission to go to use our constitutional rules. If President Trump is allowed to refuse to comply with requests for information, it would gut the House impeachment power and undermine our bedrock principle of separation of powers. Last night as we left here, I wanted to just tell you this. Uh, I went outside and there was a team of about 12 high school students from Ohio with their teacher. And they said, would you mind stopping for a minute? Could we just talk to you for a minute? It was so interesting to watch and to listen and to hear what was going on at this important historic time. We loved learning about our Constitution and how much you prize this Constitution. Thank you for protecting it for us. And you know what they said to me? We didn't understand this before, but you, I do now. It's your job. It is the House's job to determine what evidence comes in. We do not need permission from the President. We do not need permission from the courts. In fact, we have an obligation to do our job under this simple, smart document. Today, December the 12th, marks the anniversary of Pennsylvania coming into the Union. I think about those framers in my city of Philadelphia, so wisely thinking through these words. Today marks 232 years since those wise men thought through how would we conceive of our government and how would we maintain self-government. Do not be confused by the lawyers on the other side who would teach the wrong civics lesson and distract you with the notion we need to go to court. We need permission of a president. We need permission of a court. We do not. With that, I yield. Would you yield? I'd like to yield the to the gentle lady from Texas. I thank the uh, gentlelady and for her uh, very forceful uh, response. And might I just say uh, to the obstruction of Congress, uh, neither uh, Mr. Nixon or Mr. Clinton obstructed Congress in the manner uh, that this president is doing. The underlying uh, amendment had to do with corruption, and I raised the point of the uh, document that speaks about the July 25th call. Let me just quickly say uh, that the language is, I would like you to do us a favor, though. And as the White House has distorted the interpretation, the us does not have any reference uh, to the Department of Justice, the Department of Defense, the Department of State. And clearly in this same document, he mentions uh, the Vice President, he mentions CrowdStrike. All of those have been debunked. It is clear that the Vice President was operating as the Vice President of the United States at the time. And as he was operating, he was operating on an official policy to deal with Ukraine. This is about the president seeking to have Ukraine investigate uh, this political opponent 
for personal and private reasons. No one misinterpreted what was said, and Lieutenant Colonel Vindman immediately went to the legal counsel in the White House that immediately went dark and never responded because he was so offended by this campaign effort. With that, I yield back and thank the gentlelady for yielding. Gentlelady yields back. What purpose does Mr. Reschenthal seek recognition? Yes, Mr. Chairman, strike the last word. Gentleman is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I yield to my colleague and good friend from Texas. Thank my dear friend from Pennsylvania. Uh, you don't have to be a constitutional scholar if you just had Coach Parker for civics in high school, as I did. Uh, this is unique, so we don't need to hear from the court. Um, this, we're told, is uncharted territory because uh, no president has just completely refused. Let me, let me just touch on a little bit here on both of those issues. Uh, this is uncharted territory. Never in the history of this country have we had an impeachment proceeding begun by lies that got a warrant from a secret court that turned out and had been documented to be lies and then kept getting warrants three after that based on lies. And not one person on the other side of the aisle is the least bit embarrassed that they went to a secret court and got warrants based on lies, first to investigate or spy on a campaign or surveil, electronically surveil, as Horowitz says. But this is uncharted territory. Nobody wants to apologize on the other side. Okay, I get that. It might be politically embarrassing. But to say we don't need to go to court, I mean, the Obama administration was just incredible at getting subpoenas, doing document dumps of stuff that didn't, we really weren't looking for, asking for, especially from judiciary. But the other stuff that we demanded, we couldn't get it. And we tried to get uh, Boehner to go to court. Let's get a court order requiring it so that we can hold him in contempt. That's the only way we'll ever get this done. And he wouldn't do it. And so those of us that understand the Constitution and that understand they're not just two articles, we understood we needed to get that court order to back us up so it wasn't us abusing the offices of Congress we had, as Turley and Dershowitz and other pointed out, you have the court, you go. And another thing that's uncharted territory, we started this impeachment proceeding about the Russia hoax and the Russia collusion and demanding all these documents about the Russia collusion. And it kept changing. And then it went to bribery and extortion and emoluments and all these other things. Never in history has a president been accused of crimes with, with the target constantly changing. Now, when you subpoena documents, there has to be a reasonable basis for requesting information or subpoenaing witnesses. You gotta have a reasonable basis. And when you keep changing the allegations against the party from whom you're demanding information, then they have the reasonable expectation to advise them of what the new charge is today, what the new evidence is today, but they couldn't get any of those, and I would have been very surprised if you'd have, now you'd find some Obama appointees that might have upheld subpoenas, but not the Supreme Court, because this is so unreasonable. And to the earlier allegation that, gee, 
even though nobody in the Ukrainian government has said they were a victim, well, it's because the president had a gun to their head. Well, that's not the case. The reason that they are not saying that is because they knew this is the most helpful president they have had since the, the steel curtain fell. Because this is a president, unlike the Obama administration, when they were being under attack and Ukrainians really were dying, uh, we offered up blankets, some meals ready to eat for the military stuff, but this is a president that's really helping them defend themselves. This is a president that's really made a difference from Ukraine. So it wasn't a gun to their head. They see this as a helpful president. And another thing, if a victim does not admit to be a victim, anybody that's been a prosecutor surely knows this. You can go to court, force it to court, and the victim says, I wasn't a victim, you don't get a conviction. And if you do, that is not sustained because that's what courts and Congress call a no evidence point. You have a no evidence point. That's why you had to drop bribery, although it does apply to, to Vice President Biden. You smartly dropped the bribery, and now you have this elusive abuse of power this is outrageous, and it needs to come to an end. The gentleman's time has expired. For what purpose does Mr. Jeffrey seek recognition? Move to strike the last word. The gentleman is recognized. Uh, the gentleman from Texas talked about reasonable basis. The reasonable basis here is that there's uncontroverted evidence that the president pressured a foreign government, Ukraine, to target an American citizen, Joe Biden, for political gain and at the same time withheld, without explanation, $391 million in military aid that had been allocated on a bipartisan basis. Ambassador Taylor, West Point graduate, Vietnam War veteran, appointed by Reagan, Bush, Trump to the diplomatic corps, said the following about the withholding of that military aid. No legitimate public policy basis, no legitimate national security basis, no legitimate substantive basis. That's why Congress proceeded. We had more than 200 national security professionals, Democrats and Republicans, who expressed concern with the president's wrongdoing and said, this undermines American national security. And that's a basis for the impeachment inquiry. But what the president has done is said, unlike the Madisonian vision of democracy, where there are checks and balances, separate and co-equal branches of government, I alone can determine what the representatives of the people see in connection with a legitimate investigation. And at the same time, this is a president that attacks everybody to distract. Attacks everybody who won't bend the knee to Donald J. Trump. He's attacked John McCain, a war hero. He's attacked Mitt Romney, 2012 Republican nominee. He's attacked Bob Mueller, a Marine, a distinguished professional in law enforcement. He's attacked your former speaker, Paul Ryan. 
He attacks Gold Star families. He even attacked today a 16-year-old teenage activist, Greta Thunberg. Are you here to defend that as well? And so what's happened is that instead of addressing the substance of the allegation, you want to attack Joe Biden and his family. Elijah Cummings is no longer with us. He's in heaven just like the prophet Elijah, but his spirit is with us, and we are better than this. We're proceeding in a serious, solemn, and sober fashion because the allegations are deadly serious. Is it okay for the president to solicit foreign interference in the 2020 election or not? Who should decide the outcome of our elections? Is it the Russians, the Chinese, the Ukrainians, or the American people? It should be the American people. And that's why we're here at this moment. And so let's have a serious discussion about it and stop attacking Americans who refuse to bend the knee to this president. Would the gentleman yield? Would you yield? I yield to the gentleman from Tennessee. Thank you, sir. One of the issues, big issues here, is Trump conditioning military aid on an investigation of the Bidens. Joe Biden, period, his primary political opponent in his mind. The Republicans have said, no, it was about corruption. It wasn't about them. But listen to what they've talked about today. All they've talked about is the Bidens. Hunter Biden's automobile accident. Hunter Biden's this. Hunter Biden's that. Hunter Biden's salary. They haven't brought up the corruption of the past Ukrainian leaders or any Ukrainian business. It's all the Bidens. Their defense speaks to the truth of the allegations in this article that it was all about the Bidens. They're all about the Bidens, and that's what it's about. Would the gentleman yield? yield? I yield. Yeah. I did bring no, I up. Go back to Mr. Yeah. Jeffries. Okay, I, I shouldn't have tried to Mr. correct Jeffries. you then, I guess. Foreign interference in an American election solicited by the president is not okay. That is an abuse of power. It undermined our national security. The president should be held accountable because no one is above the law. The gentleman yields back. Uh, for what purpose does Mr. Nagu seek recognition? Move to strike the last word. Gentleman is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I think the gentleman from New York laid out in such an articulate way the basis and the justification for both Article I and Article II before us. But I just want to touch on the debate around obstruction of Congress and explain to my colleagues and to the American people why this instance is so unprecedented. Uh, I will first just say with much respect to my colleague from Colorado, I want to assure the American people that obstruction of Congress to Coloradans means the same thing that it does to everyone else in this country. It means the defiance of lawfully issued subpoenas by the United States House of Representatives. It means impeding the ability of the United States House of Representatives to perform its constitutional duty. And unlike the obstruction of Congress that has taken place in the past, 
This president's obstruction of Congress has been total, has been absolute, and has been categorical. In 1999-98, when President Clinton was the subject of an impeachment inquiry, this committee propounded 81 interrogatories to his administration, and he responded. In 1974, during the Watergate investigation, Nixon's chief of staff testified. Nixon's counsel testified. In this instance, the president has taken steps to ensure that this committee does not receive, and the Intelligence Committee as well, key testimony from any host of officials in our government. And just to give you a historical context, I will read to you a quote. All members of the White House staff will appear voluntarily when requested by the committee. They will testify under oath, and they will answer fully all proper questions. That's from Richard Nixon's administration. So I hope, again, as we consider the gravity of the articles before us, that we can stay true to the facts and recognize that when we say that no president in the history of this republic has ever completely defied an impeachment inquiry as this one has, we mean it. And with that, would the gentleman I yield? would yield to the distinguished gentlewoman from California. I uh, enjoyed listening to you. You're absolutely correct in your uh, reporting of what occurred during both the Nixon and Clinton impeachment. <clears throat> but I wanted to address the issue from a slightly different point of view. Not only has President Trump refused to provide information that he should have provided, he didn't assert a privilege. He just said no. I actually have just reread the letter from Mr. Cipolliti, the president's lawyer, dated October 8th, 2019. It's page after page after page of complaining about how the House is proceeding, but the Constitution says Congress shall have the sole authority to impeach. We decide how to proceed, not the White House. And in the end, without asserting any privilege whatsoever, he just announces they're not going to cooperate, provide any information. This isn't something that, that needs to be adjudicated by the third branch, the judicial branch, because there's no, there's no privilege being asserted here. It's simply no. That's never happened before. Never happened before in the history of the United States. And I'll tell you, in addition to being improper, a valid uh, article, uh, Article 2, that we're considering today, if this behavior persists, the balance, carefully balanced sharing of power between the three branches of government is gone forever. It means that only one branch, the executive branch, will have the right to decide what happens in the United States of America. And that is a very different type of country than we have enjoyed for over 200 years. And it is not a piece of good news for freedom in the United States. And I yield back to Mr. Neguse with thanks for recognizing me. And I yield back the balance of my time. Gentleman yields back for which purpose? For what purpose?
What purpose does Mr. McClintock seek recognition? To strike the last word, Mr. Chairman. Gentlemen, recognized. Mr. Chairman, I, I have to offer a, a different perspective on this. The, the, the doctrine of executive privilege actually began with a subpoena that the House issued to President George Washington in 1796, demanding all the papers relating to the Jay Treaty. President Washington refused that subpoena because he said that the powers of the House did not extend to treaties. He ultimately only provided that information to the Senate as a function of its uh, treaty approval uh, process. So the, the, and the doctrine that dates back to those days is derived from the separation of powers between the executive and legislative branches. Congress can no more intrude into the policy discussions of the president than the president can intrude into our own policy discussions. That is essential to the separation of powers. Now, there is a natural tension between the branches. That's a byproduct of that separation of powers. And when that tension cannot be resolved, then we turn to the judiciary. That's the appropriate way to resolve this. Uh, different interpretations of the boundaries between the Congress and the President, the appropriate response is judicial review, not impeachment. The President has every right to assert his constitutional rights, and he has every responsibility to defend the prerogatives of his office. His very oath of office compels him to do so. In matters like this, the, the courts have acted quickly to resolve such disputes. But the Democrats aren't willing to go to the courts. What, what Article 2 says is, we're not willing to go to court. We'll take the law into our own hands. These are the same people who tell us that no one is above the law, of course, except for themselves. What they're saying is Congress alone will decide the limits of our own power. This is the essence of despotism. The reason why we separate powers of government is so that one branch alone cannot unilaterally define its own power. And yet this is the power that the Democrats are now arrogating to themselves. It's true. We have the sole power of impeachment under the Constitution. But that power does not exceed the bounds that are established by that very Constitution. Those bounds include the grounds for impeachment, which this committee has ignored, and they include the separation of powers that protect one branch from intrusion of the other. I want you to think about the essence of the Democrats' claim and what it means to American jurisprudence. If you face an abusive pro prosecutor who's making false accusations, well, you have constitutional rights that you're guaranteed to use to protect yourself. You've got the right to confront your accuser. You've got the right to call witnesses in your defense. You have the right to be protected from unreasonable searches and seizures. But this article says, if you go to court to defend your rights, that's automatically an obstruction of justice, or in this case, an obstruction of Congress. And the very fact that you tried to defend your constitutional rights is evidence of guilt. These are the tools of tyrants. And we've already seen these tools used against college students in, in Title IX prosecutions, and they produced a frightening litany of injustices. Now these tools are being brought into this attempt to nullify the 2016 national election that the left has refused to accept. And that should scare the hell out of every person in this country. I yield back. The gentleman yields back. For what purpose does Mr.
Correa seek recognition. Move to strike the last word. Gentleman is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I just wanted to do a little fact-checking, if I can, for my folks back in California and Orange County. I, I know some of my colleagues compared the, the, uh, Vice President Biden's withholding of aid to uh, President Trump's withholding of aid. And I just want to make sure that I have the facts correct here. It's my understanding that Vice President Biden held up the aid in order to have uh, uh, firing Mr. Shokin, but this was in accordance with U.S. policy, express U.S. policy that was supported by Europe and a bipartisan Congress. Yet you have President Trump who held up almost $400 million of, again, bipartisan approved aid. And I know my colleagues are saying that he did this to root out corruption. And I think there are channels of pursuing help and investigations. On September 25th, uh, there was a public press release put out by the DOJ saying that President Trump never asked them to investigate this matter. Uh, so I'm led to conclude that this must have been for the president's personal gain. President interjected his personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, who told us, and I quote, this is not about foreign policy, close quote, Rudy Giuliani went on to say, this information, open quote, this information will be very, very helpful to my client, close quote. And again, he said, open quote, I guarantee you Joe Biden will not get to election day without being investigated. Again, comparing and contrasting, holding up foreign aid to support U.S. public policy versus holding up foreign aid against U.S. stated policy. Mr. Chair, I yield. Would the gentleman yield back? I yield? Yes. Thank, thank you. I thank the gentleman for yielding. You know, I know there's, there's been an effort to try to um, suggest that the Trump administration or the president was interested in corruption, and that's why he held up the aid. The evidence is absolutely to the contrary. All of the evidence. And in fact, sometimes you have to go back to the source. If you look at the report completed by the Intelligence Committee, a 300-page report, uh, 17 witnesses, over 100 hours of testimony, they make findings of fact. Now, we, there's fact and there's make-believe. The findings of fact, and I'm going to read right from the report. In the, the president solicited the interference of a foreign government in Ukraine in the 2020 U.S. presidential election. In furtherance of this scheme... President Trump, directly and acting through his agents within and outside the U.S. government, sought to pressure and induce Ukraine's newly elected President Zelensky to publicly announce unfounded allegations that would benefit President Trump's personal political interests and re-election effort. As part of the scheme, President Trump, this is again, findings of fact, personally and directly requested for the President of Ukraine that the government of Ukraine publicly announce the investigation into the President, Vice President and his son. President Trump ordered the suspension of $391 million in vital military assistance urgently needed by Ukraine to resist Russian aggression. And here's the important part. In directing and orchestrating the scheme to advance his personal political interests, President Trump did not implement, promote, or advance U.S. anti-corruption policies. In fact, the president sought to pressure and induce the government of Ukraine to announce politically motivated investigations lacking legitimate prediction that the United States 
government otherwise discourages and opposes as a matter of policy in that country and around the world. In so doing, the President undermined U.S. policy supporting anti-corruption reform and rule of law in Ukraine and undermined U.S. national security. So you, the findings of fact that are detailed in the report completely refute that claim. And again, I return to the most important fact. The President of the United States abused the power of his office, the enormous power of the presidency, not to advance the public good, but to advance the political interests of Donald Trump. He used taxpayer funds, nearly $400 million, to leverage that, and in doing so, undermined the national security of the United States. He must be held accountable because no one in this country no one, including the President of the United States, is above the law. And the one body that is charged with making certain that we vindicate the power of the people to hold the President accountable is the Congress of the United States. If you're not up to the job, you don't belong in Congress. I yield back. The gentleman yields back. The question now occurs on the Gates Amendment. Those in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed, no. 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 In the opinion of the Chair, the nays have it, and the amendment is not agreed to. Roll call is requested. The clerk will call the roll. Mr. Nadler? No. Mr. Nadler votes no. Ms. Lofgren? No. Ms. Lofgren votes no. Ms. Jackson Lee? No. Ms. Jackson Lee votes no. Mr. Cohen? Mr. Cohen votes no. Mr. Johnson of Georgia? Mr. Johnson of Georgia votes no. Mr. Deutsch? Mr. Deutsch votes no. Ms. Bass? Ms. Bass votes no. Mr. Richmond? No. Mr. Richmond votes no. Mr. Jeffries? No. Mr. Jeffries votes no. Mr. Cicilline? No. Mr. Cicilline votes no. Mr. Swalwell? No. Mr. Swalwell votes no. Mr. Liu? Mr. Raskin? Mr. Raskin votes no. Ms. Jayapal? No. Ms. Jayapal votes no. Ms. Demings? No. Ms. Demings votes no. Mr. Correa? No. Mr. Correa votes no. Ms. Scanlon? No. Ms. Scanlon votes no. Ms. Garcia? No. Ms. Garcia votes no. Mr. Nagus? No. Mr. Nagus votes no. Ms. McBath? No. Ms. McBath votes no. Mr. Stanton? No. Mr. Stanton votes no. Ms. Dean? No. Ms. Dean votes no. Ms. McCarcel Powell? No. Ms. McCarcel Powell votes no. Ms. Escobar? No. Ms. Escobar votes no. Mr. Collins? Aye. Mr. Collins votes aye. Mr. Sensenbrenner? Aye. Mr. Sensenbrenner votes aye. Mr. Shabbat? Mr. Shabbat votes aye. Mr. Gomer? Mr. Gomert votes aye. Mr. Jordan? Mr. Jordan votes yes. Mr. Buck? Mr. Buck votes aye. Mr. Radcliffe? Mr. Radcliffe votes yes. Ms. Roby? Aye. Ms. Roby votes aye. Mr. Gates? Aye. Mr. Gates votes aye. Mr. Johnson of Louisiana? Mr. Johnson of Louisiana votes aye. Mr. Biggs? Mr. Biggs votes aye. Mr. McClintock? Aye. Mr. McClintock votes aye. Ms. Lesko? Aye. Ms. Lesko votes aye. Mr. Reschenthaler? Mr. Reschenthaler votes aye. Mr. Klein? Aye. Mr. Klein votes aye. Mr. Armstrong? Yes. Mr. Armstrong votes yes. Mr. Stubbe? Yes. Mr. Stubbe votes yes. Vote. The clerk will report. Mr. Chairman, there are 17 ayes and 23 noes. The amendment is not agreed to. Are there any further amendments to the amendment in the nature of a substitute? Mr. Chairman. Who seeks recognition? Mr. For what purpose does Mr. Biggs seek recognition? I have an amendment at the desk. The gentleman has amendment at the desk. The clerk will report the amendment.
Amendment to the amendment in the nature of a substitute to H. Res. 755. I reserve offered a point by Mr. of order. Biggs of Arizona. Gentlelady reserves a point of order. The gentleman is recognized to explain his amendment. Is she going to read the amendment, sir? The clerk will read the amendment. Page 4, strike line 8 and all that follows through line 13 and insert the following. 3. The aid was released within days of Ukrainian President Zelensky signing two major anti-corruption measures into law, convincing President Trump that the new Ukrainian administration was serious about reform measures and consistent with administration policy to ensure foreign aid is not used for corrupt purposes. The gentleman will explain his amendment. I withdraw my point of order. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I draw my colleagues' attention to a letter sent yesterday from the Office of Management and Budget regarding the temporary pause on aid to Ukraine. The letter is addressed to Mr. Tom Armstrong, General Counsel of the GAO, and I ask unanimous consent that it be included in the record. Object. The entire reason we're here today is because Democrats have accused the President of conditioning aid to Ukraine on investigations into his political opponent. Today, Democrats have continued to claim President Trump withheld or froze froze foreign aid to Ukraine, but the OMB letter walks through the entire process behind this temporary delay. First, the money was paused, but DOD was permitted to engage in all of the activities short of obligation necessary to ensure that DOD would not be precluded from obligating the funds prior to the expiration. The money was paused, according to the letter, pending a policy decision. And what was the policy decision? Your two witnesses, Fiona Hill and David Hale, testified that there was an ongoing global review of foreign assistance generally to ensure any program receiving funds were actually worthy beneficiaries of our assistance, that the programs made sense, etc. Mr. Hale further testified that the President's skeptical views on foreign assistance guided the Foreign Affairs Review. In fact, the only direct evidence for the reasons for the pause comes from OMB official Mark Sandy, who testified that he learned in September that the pause was related to, quote, the President's concern about other countries contributing more to Ukraine, close quote. He explained how OMB received requests for information on what other countries were contributing to Ukraine, which OMB provided in the first week of September. The aid was released, of course, on September 11th. So uh, Democrats want to impeach the President for trying to ensure that taxpayer funds are spent efficiently and responsibly. Democrats have accused his presence of a myriad of things, including violation of the Impoundment Control Act, which prohibits the executive from essentially pocket-vetoing funds appropriated by Congress. This letter that I'm trying to introduce shows instead that the administration never intended or actually violated the law. In fact, it shows that they always intended to disperse the funds. That is why DOD was permitted to engage in all activities in preparation for the delivery of the aid. You've not made your case again. The OMB letter walks through at great length the history behind programmatic delays. delays. I'm sure this would be boring to my friends on the other side since it technic technocratically destroys their central theory for impeachment. In the letter, the OMB General Counsel said even with the temporary withholding, the Department of Defense was able to obligate about 84% of the $250 million before the end of the fiscal year on September 30th. In the last year of the Obama administration, it was only 79%. More recently, in 2018, it was 83%. In 2017, 91%. Let's get back to it. The specific language of the uh, Appropriations Authority says, for the Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative, it's hereby, uh, $250 million is hereby appropriated to remain available until September 30th, 2019. That's point one, to remain available until September 30th, 2019. When we authorize funds, we give the administration a deadline. The administration complied with that deadline. The administration acted completely and totally within the bounds of the law. Secondly, the OMB's letter now definitively destroys 
the insinuation that the president chose to delay for malicious or corrupt purposes. The bottom line is the aid was lawfully delayed and lawfully delivered. And that means that this entire process has been a sham. And with that, I'm going to address a couple of issues that I heard. I heard uh, one of my colleagues on the other side say not too long ago that the president should come in and prove his own innocence. Think about what that does. Come in and prove your own innocence. First of all, that is antithetical to the Anglo-American uh, judicial process. It's antithetical to the constitutional and the Constitution, particularly the Bill of Rights. It's antithetical to what we do here. Someone said that Vindman said that, that uh, was complaining about the, the uh, transcript, but it's been uh, gone over today. The transcript was complete and accurate, according to Mr. Vindman. Someone said, and I, and, and I would ask this of my, my colleagues, under the standard that was given earlier by one of my colleagues, if the president exercised executive privilege and requested a declaratory judgment from a court, if the privilege was upheld, would you undertake then to impeach the judge? I mean, think about that. Your standard, giving absolute process authority to the House, would impel you to impeach a judge who sustained a lawful exercise of the um, privilege um, of, the, of the executive. So I think, Mr. Chairman, you've over, overgone your bounds. And when we get back to this, my amendment, it basically covers and sets forth clearly what the holding or the pause of the Ukrainian aid was about, and they got their money, and they got it on time. The gentleman uh, yields back. The, without objection, the material previously subject, uh, su submitted by Mr. Cohen, Mr. Swalwell, and Mr. Biggs will be admitted into the record. I know, uh, for what purpose does um, uh, Ms. Bass seek recognition? Move to strike the last word. Gentlelady is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, I find it interesting that the story certainly seems to be changing. You mentioned um, the information from OMB, but when the uh, acting chief of staff gave his press conference, he said very clearly that the aid was being withheld because of the need to investigate the 2016 election. Now you are talking about uh, corruption. I think that um, the notion that President Zelensky did not feel pressure and was just fine with military assistance being withheld, first of all, they did know that the military assistance was being withheld, and there was no reason for the administration to hold back because of corruption, considering that the Department of Defense had already said that there was no problem and that the aid could be released. The aid was released after the administration was busted, after there was pressure from Congress for the aid to be released, after word leaked out and the whistleblower came forward, then the aid was released. I think it's very important to remember that. President Zelensky not feeling pressure and he was just fine, he was essentially being held hostage. He was a newly elected president, his nation was at war, and part of his country was seized by the Russians. So what on earth was he supposed to say? Was he supposed to publicly complain and criticize President Trump when the whole world knows how the president doesn't respond to anything except for praise? What hostage would come forward and complain publicly against their captors, especially if they knew that the aid could be withheld or they could be compromised at any point in time? Last week, 
President Zelensky had his first meeting with President Putin. And unfortunately, we were not there. He had that meeting alone. We absolutely compromised his ability to defend his nation. Several times it's been said that no lives were lost, but I would like to ask unanimous consent to enter into the record an article from Newsweek talking about the fact that 13 Ukrainian soldiers were killed. That objection? President Zelensky agreed to publicly announce the investigations in an interview on CNN, but the Ukraine canceled that interview days after the president's scheme was exposed and the military aid was released, which further underscores the pressure that the Ukrainians felt when the aid was withheld. The president knew this when President Zelensky asked for a, quote, favor. As Lieutenant Colonel Vindman testified, this was not a friendly request, it was a demand. For weeks, the Ukrainian officials pushed back on the demand of the president and his agents, advising U.S. officials that they did not want to be an instrument in Washington's domestic re-election politics. This was not just business as usual. This was not the president just being concerned about corruption. But as the president's pressure campaign increased and the president began withholding critical assistance from Ukraine, something that the Ukrainians learned about no later than July 25th, the Ukrainians became desperate, so desperate in fact, that as Ambassador Sunland told the president, President Zelensky was willing to do anything. And although the aid has been released, the power disparities between the two countries has not changed. Ukraine continues to depend on the United States for military aid, and President Zelensky needs the support of America and its leader as he strives to bring an end to the war with Russia. It is no surprise, therefore, that President Zelensky expressed that he didn't feel pressure, but the evidence reveals a different picture. The evidence is clear that President Trump took advantage of Ukraine's vulnerability and abused the powers of his office to pressure Ukraine to help his re-election campaign. This is the highest of high crimes, and President Trump must be held accountable. You know, in addition to compromising Ukraine, this compromised our standing in the world. Because what does it say to our allies? What does it say to vulnerable new democracies? When they need the assistance of the United States, they better be prepared to help the president's re-election. It compromises our standing in the world, and why would allies trust us anymore if this is the way that they are treated? I yield back. The gentlelady yields back. Uh, for what purpose does Mr. Chavez seek recognition? Strike last word, Mr. Chairman. Gentleman is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I've just got three points that I'd, I'd like to make here. Uh, first of all, as well as being on this committee, the Judiciary Committee, I'm also a member of the uh, Foreign Affairs Committee, have been for the last 23 years. And one thing that's really been concerning to me is about this phone call that the gentleman mentions uh, in, in, the, in the amendment, and I appreciate him offering this amendment. But relative to that phone call that our president, President Trump, had with the president of, of Ukraine, the number of people that were listening in on this phone call, and is that in the national interest of our country? Um, it's incredible how many people, you think our president's talking to their president, you got all these people listening in, and if they are listening in, shut up about it. You know, the president is talking frankly with another president. You know, he's gonna make comments. He, in that call, he made some disparaging comments relative to another important ally of ours, Germany and Angela Merkel. 
um, it, it's not particularly helpful to have them say, here, uh, our president saying something like, well, they'll give you lip service about coming to your defense and giving you aid, but they really won't be there for you. We will be here, you know, talking about how uh, important the United States is and an ally. Our, our presidents do that, but, you know, you think you're doing that in confidence with the other country, not having everybody else listening in. So um, our State Department, uh, the executive branch, and many others need to tighten up these phone calls for our national uh, security interests, and that goes whether we have a Republican administration, as we do uh, right now, or a Democratic uh, administration, as we have maybe decades down the road. Um, secondly, um, relative to uh, obstruction of Congress, which is one of the two charges, uh, there weren't any, you know, no crimes alleged, essentially, but obstruction of, of Congress. We have three branches of government, and of course, it's alleged that, you know, Congress, the legislative branch, said, we want you to bring witnesses and evidence, et cetera, from the other branch, executive branch, and since they didn't do it, rather than go to court, which they could have done, the, the legislative branch, this branch, basically the Democrats, because they're in control here in the House, they could have filed uh, a lawsuit. They could have had the courts decide. That's what happened um, some years ago back in the Nixon uh, impeachment. He wouldn't turn over the tapes. So they went to the court. The Supreme Court ultimately said it may have taken some months, but they said, you've got to turn those tapes over. And he did, and he resigned because there was bad stuff in those tapes, the smoking gun, so to speak. And that's what they could have done here. But instead of go to the court, which is what you're supposed to do, they're kind of the referee between the legislative branch and the executive branch. They say, no, we're not going to go to courts. We're just going to impeach this guy, which they've wanted to do since he got inaugurated. We had one member of Congress uh, on their side who said they had to impeach him or otherwise he was going to get reelected. So there's so much politics in there and there really shouldn't be. And the third point um, I wanted to make is that uh, I think the Democrats, unfortunately, are really lowering the bar on impeachment uh, in our country. Um, you know, for about, and I happen to be a, 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 a history major from the second oldest college in the country, the College of William and Mary, um, 200 years, our nation's history, we had one impeachment, Andrew Johnson, for 200 years. And now in less than 50 years, we're on our third, um, which is really unfortunate, I believe. I think they're lowering the bar. They're making this too routine. And I think that's very dangerous because when you have, I think in the near future, when you have a president and you have a house of different parties, we're going to see this more and more often, and this is very divisive for our country. Um, we're, we're, we're not together enough on so many things, and I think this is going to further uh, divide us, and I think that's really uh, unfortunate. We saw, for example, you know, years and years ago, it reminds me a little bit of when uh, Bork was uh, nominated to the Supreme Court. Some of the press here are probably old enough to re remember that, and maybe some members uh, of the institution in general. But when, when the Democrats went after Bork, uh, then we saw it tit for tat down the road. And I'm afraid you're going to see that uh, here relative to impeachment of our presidents, too. So I think both sides ought to step back and consider what we're doing here, um, because impeachment can be very divisive. And I've been through one of these before. I was one of the House managers in, in Bill Clinton's um, about 20 years ago, and, and they're ugly. So I uh, have a lot of sympathy for the House managers that are going to be picked, probably some from this committee in the near future, and I yield back. Gentleman yields back. Uh, 
What purpose does Mr. Richmond seek recognition? I move to strike the last word. Gentleman is recognized. Mr. Chairman, we've had a lot of conversation today, and I'd just like to break it down into a simple term that everyone at home can understand, especially my home district, where we speak a lot of Spanish, we speak a lot of French, we don't go around speaking a lot of Latin. And so here's why we're here today. Some people say quid pro quo. Some people translate into the American definition of a this for a that. And the question is, what was the this? The this was a Oval Office visit and much needed military aid for the that. And the that was an investigation into Joe Biden, the primary political opponent. And look, when you describe a crime, you want to make sure that you tell the jury and the people listening about motive. The motive was that he was afraid, President Trump was afraid that Joe Biden was beating him in the polls and would defeat him for his reelection. How do we know that very quickly? Because we've introduced articles where he said it. He gave out the aid in 2016, he gave in 2017, he gave out the aid in 2018. 2019, the polls come out, he withholds the aid and he asks for an investigation. But that's just motive. But let's go to sworn witness testimony, because that's the part I want us to focus on. And the other side talked about the credibility of Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, and they accepted some of the things that he said as fact. Well, if you're going to accept some of the things he said as fact, let's accept them all as fact. It was Lieutenant Colonel Vindman that said, under oath, Ambassador Soundland began to review what the deliverable would be in order to get the meeting. The deliverable, that was the that for the meeting. And he said, specifically, it was an investigation into the Bidens. Let's go to John Bolton, who said he described this that for, this, this for that deal as a drug deal. So if we look at all of the testimony of people under oath, they clearly say that this was a swap of an Oval Office visit or military aid for an investigation into the Bidens. Now, the whistleblower comes forward, the Trump administration panics, and then they develop everything that we have now, and that's called the excuse or the defense. First excuse, well, they didn't know the money was being held. Not true. There's an email, two emails, where they express concerns about it. Then you have Ms. Croft, who testified that two individuals from the Ukrainian embassy asked about an OMB hold on the security assistance, roughly a week apart. And she recalled that that occurred before it was publicly announced. So that's one. Second their defense or excuse is that President Trump wanted to investigate corruption. Now that's just laughable on its face. If you want to, if President Trump wanted to investigate corruption, he could start at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, look in the mirror, or he could look around the cast of criminals that have been indicted from his circle. You have his lawyer, 
You have his national security advisor. You have Michael Flynn, Rick Gates, Paul Manafort. The circle goes on. He's surrounded by criminals. Then we hear, well, can't be obstruction of Congress. You all could have just went to court. Well, we're in December. We have an ongoing crime. We have a crime in progress. That's, that is what the 911 call would say from a police officer. We have a crime in progress. And they're saying, with a crime in progress, why didn't you just schedule an appointment to call the police? We have an emergency to our national election going on right now. Our oath to the Constitution requires us to take this drastic, solemn, and regrettable step, but it is necessary because if we don't protect Americans' precious right to vote, it is clear that the other side won't. And so I talked about the courage of Esther yesterday. Today I'm reminded of Judas. Because Judas, for 30 pieces of silver, betrayed Jesus. For 30 positive tweets for easy re-election, the other side is willing to betray the American people, their precious right to vote, and the future of our great country. And with that, I yield back. Gentleman yields back. For what purpose does Mr. Gomer seek recognition? Strike the last word. Gentleman's recognized. Uh, I'm, I'm really intrigued. First, we're told that uh, the offense is withholding aid, even though it was provided, and in fact provided tremendously more helpful in both substance and in amount than the prior administration that just let people die over there. Um, but I thought the acknowledgement had been the aid was provided, but now we're told this is an ongoing crime. Um, so it, it, that, I don't, those two, statements don't seem to uh, work together well. Um, but, you know, the double standards, uh, they serve one party well. When it comes to uh, the obstruction of Congress, the position of the majority is a tyrannical position. When we ask for something, you either give it or we're throwing you out of office. Never mind, we don't know what we're going to charge you with. We figure if we keep requesting enough documents, kind of like uh, Chairman Schiff getting phone records and releasing them, maybe we can intimidate people by getting their records and releasing them enough that they'll do what we say. Um, that's tyrannical. Uh, and in fact, uh, when we look at obstruction of Congress, uh, violation of the rules, the majority could have hit, could have gone ahead and passed a tyrannical rule and said, we're not going to allow the minority to have a minority witness day, even though it's in the rules, because we're tyrants and we don't care. But they didn't pass that rule. It's still part of the rules. So once this thing is rushed through, probably tonight, whenever, uh, through the Rules Committee, They'll probably come out with a rule, as as uh, ranking member mentioned earlier, and say, "Gee, uh, all uh, such points of order are waived." You know, all of the times that the majority violated the rules, we're going to waive those, and nobody can raise them to stop this impeachment. 
that really is um, abuse of power. It certainly is. But, and I, I had a document prepared to offer as an amendment in the nature of a substitute, which would just change uh, the president's name to that of Chairman Schiff and Chatham, Chairman Nadler regarding abuse of power and obstruction of Congress, because there are plenty of bases for that, but it would not have been ruled germane, so I wasn't going to waste the time. But obstruction of Congress, when there is no referee, there is no adjudication, there's nothing but a majority that says, you give us what we want until we find a crime or we're going to throw you out of office, that is so unreasonable, especially given the history of the last three years. When the charges came and the charges went, the president was, I think it was a huge mistake for him ever to allow Don McGahn to testify for 30 hours when it was a bogus charge to begin with. They're setting perjury traps. Thank God Don McGahn didn't fall into one. But this is even more outrageous. Give us what we demand or we're going to throw you out of office. We can't, you know, there's another thing that could have been done besides going to court. Could have passed a bill requiring the president to do certain things, turn over certain things, and gotten the Senate to agree, president vetoes it, you override the veto. Then you, which is kind of what happened to Andrew Johnson, uh, then you could... Um, really have a legitimate obstruction of Congress. It's not just obstruction of, of a majority in one half of the Congress. But that wasn't done either. And even if that had been done, either the president or the Congress would end up having to go to the Supreme Court to say, to get the courts to say, this was a lawful act. But in the case of Congress and Andrew Johnson, it was an unconstitutional act to say he couldn't fire the Secretary of State. So. Either way, you got to end up in court at some point uh, before it can be an obstruction of Congress. But the majority was in a hurry, and when the majority, this majority, is in a hurry, then justice is undone, and so is our future. Are you back? Gentleman yields back. What purpose does Ms. Scanlon seek recognition? I move to strike the last word. And ladies recognize. As I understand it, the amendment before us is based on a letter that has just been issued by the White House months after the whole issue of the propriety of this July call was raised. So, you know, I think it takes us back to basics again, and the basics being if it looks like a duck and it swims like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck, and I'm afraid that the July 25th call is a duck. You know, we have the president's own words. I want you to do us a favor, though. And then he goes on to talk about the favors that he want, invo wants involving election um, assistance for him to clarify what happened in the 2016 election and then start attacking his opponent in the 2020 election. Immediately upon hearing this, national security professionals around the world say, whoa, this is wrong, okay? This quacks like a duck, okay? The president is going against all of our carefully thought out national security policy to ask for what one witness called a domestic political favor, okay? So, so right out of the bat, 
it makes no sense to the professionals here. Then we hear, then we start hearing this thing that, oh, well, he's really talking about corruption. Well, no, the Department of Defense had said it was okay to release the aid here because they'd already certified that corruption wasn't an issue. The people on the ground, the ambassadors, the national security professionals who'd been appointed by this president said, no, that is not an excuse. We then hear that OMB officials, Office of Management and Budget officials are saying, whoa, who's holding up the aid? We don't have a problem with the aid. Oh, it's the president. The president is holding up the aid. Then we hear from the Department of Justice, whoa, we didn't have anything to do with any inquiries into our, our American uh, citizens. That's not the DOJ's interest. So the only person who had an interest in this was the president, and it was his personal interest the unanimous opinion of all of our agencies in the U.S. government was this was against our national security and our national interests. So it's now, only now, after the president has refused to allow us to inquire from anyone else who was in the room and was on the call and after denying all of this evidence, only now, after articles of impeachment have been filed, only now does the White House come up with an explanation. It's way too little, it's way too late, and it smells like a duck. So with that, I yield back to the chair. For our purposes, Mr. Gates, seek recognition. Move strike, last word. Gentlemen, is recognized. Thank you. Before I make my point, during the break, a Reuters photographer, Josh Roberts, approached the dais and took pictures of the notes of the desks of several of my Democratic colleagues. We noticed that, uh, announced it to staff, and that reporter, uh, that photographer has been removed. And I would just say no member, Republican or Democrat, uh, should be mm -hmm. subject to that. We ought to have the opportunity to take our notes, participate in debate, and have a fair discussion. Substantively, though, President Trump did nothing wrong. As we've sat here today, each and every action of the president has been explained. We have offered the basis, the understanding. We've gained an appreciation for why a president would have reasonable concern about Ukraine, why a president would have specific concern about this Biden-Burisma nexus. Here's what you haven't heard today. You haven't heard any defense of Burisma from them. You haven't heard them say, oh, well, this was all bogus. The president should, have been, should not have been asking this question because we have put into the record, we have cited in the record the testimony of people like George Kent who said that there were deep, legitimate concerns, even the testimony of Ambassador Yovanovitch about having to expressly prepare for that. Then they say, well, this aid's been withheld. The withholding of this aid is this bad presidential conduct. But the Biggs Amendment that I encourage my colleagues to support ripens the fact that there was a, a very understandable reason for why the aid was released when it was. And it had nothing to do with the election or anything like that. It had to do with the fact that the Ukraine took substantive steps to ensure that our aid would be appropriately used for the cause that is now apparently the cause celeb of the left, and that is the def defending the Ukraine against Russia. Then they say, oh, well, the president's next bad act is this great obstruction of Congress. They have subjected President Trump to more presidential harassment than at any other time in American history. Attacking his family, not allowing his administration to continue to do its work on behalf of the people. And amazingly, despite all this distraction, despite all of the obstruction of the president that the Democrats have engaged in, jobs are rising, wages are rising, our economy is restored and renewed. 
There are a few uh, things my colleague said. I, 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 my, the colleague from Rhode Island read, well, these are the findings of fact. Let me tell you what the factual findings are. I just want America to know he was reading from the Adam Schiff report, the same Adam Schiff report that Adam Schiff himself would not sit there and explain. They, were, they lacked so much confidence in that report that when it was presented to the Judiciary Committee, they had some of their donors asking questions of other of their donors and then doing this weird switcheroo that was very unexplainable. I don't know how my very smart colleagues, like the gentleman from New York, can say there is uncontradicted evidence of pressure. Uncontradicted evidence of pressure. What do they think Zelensky's statements are? When Zelensky says there is no pressure, that is at a bare minimum evidence. When Mr. Yermark says there is no pressure, that is evidence. This, th there is no evidence of a quid pro quo. There's no evidence of conditionality. And the reason you know they lack that evidentiary basis is because they have to keep changing their language. When their pollsters and pundits told them to call it bribery, oh, that was the message of the week. Bribery was on every one of their lips. But then when we asked the witnesses, did you see any bribery? Were you a part of any bribery? The answer was no. And so they have to keep evolving the claims because there is no factual predicate. I also heard my colleague from New Orleans say that this hearing would, would be informed by our understanding of regret. There would be this deep sense of regret. Well, my, my friend is from a deep blue district, so he probably won't be the one regretting it the most. The folks that will be regretting what they're doing are the Democrats in swing districts who probably aren't coming back. I tell them for the upcoming year, rent, don't buy here in Washington, D.C. And so today, the only question that we are left with when we conclude this hearing is whether or not as we move impeachment to the floor of the House of Representatives, which will occur more rapidly? Will they lose votes or will they lose the majority? Because if these folks who promise to come here and work with us on health care and infrastructure vote for this impeachment, they won't be back. We'll be holding the gavels and we'll remember not just how you treated us, not just how you treated the president. We'll remember how you treated the American people. And we're going to come and restore a sense of honor and integrity in the next election. I yield back. Gentleman yields back for our purpose. Does Mr. Cicilline seek recognition? Move to strike the last word, Mr. Gentleman is recognized. I first want to respond to the gentleman from Ohio's reference that people who are listening on the call should just shut up. I couldn't disagree more passionately. The extraordinary, courageous patriots who love our country spoke up when they saw something that was wrong, that violated the law, violated the Constitution, and undermined the national security interests of the United States. And thank God they did. Otherwise, the President of the United States would have gotten away with this scheme of dragging foreign interference into our elections to help him cheat in 2020. So I salute the extraordinary men and women in the Foreign Service and our intelligence community for the courage they've shown in coming forward and reporting what they've seen. I wish we could find more of it on this committee. But I want to say, you know, facts are a stubborn thing. This amendment, unfortunately, is just not true. Because what we know is this scheme called a drug deal by president's own Mr. Bolton called a domestic political errand by another Trump appointee which, for which there is no explanation. My Republican colleagues are trying to find an answer. And so they say, oh, what it was because he was fighting corruption. The idea that Donald Trump was leading an anti-corruption effort is like Kim Jong-un leading a human rights effort. It's just not credible. 
It's just not credible. And we have facts that will demonstrate that. So, for example, at the very time you claim he's interested in ferreting out corruption in Ukraine, you know what, his, what he proposed? Cutting him by more than 50% corruption, anti-corruption efforts in Ukraine. And here's an article. Trump administration sought billions of dollars in cuts to programs aimed at fighting corruption in Ukraine and elsewhere. We restored the money. Congress restored the money. He proposed deep cuts. That's not evidence of a serious commitment to fighting corruption. In addition to that, in a letter to the chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee, the Secretary of Defense says, on behalf of the Secretary of Defense, this is dated May 23, 2019, long before the July call, on behalf of the Secretary of Defense and in coordination with the Secretary of State, I have certified that the government of Ukraine has taken substantial actions to make defense institutional reforms for the purpose of decreasing corruption, increasing accountability, and sustaining improvements of combating capability enabled by U.S. assistance. There's a certification. And so there's only one explanation for why it was finally released. There was a report of a whistleblower report being filed. The president got caught. And so this notion that somehow this president was concerned about corruption is defied by all the evidence collected. I know you want to believe it. It's just not supported by the evidence. And so this amendment is silly, it's inaccurate, it mischaracterizes the overwhelming body of evidence that was collected in this investigation. The President of the United States attempted to drag a foreign power into our elections, to corrupt the 2020 election, to cheat, undermine our national security, betray the national interests of this country, and he must be held accountable. Move the gentleman. The balance of my time to Mr. Swalwell from California. I, I thank the gentleman, and I just want to have a reset of the facts here because my colleagues claim that so many of these facts are in dispute, but I want to hear someone dispute the fact that Rudy Giuliani was Donald Trump's personal lawyer. I want to hear someone dispute the fact that when Rudy was hired, the anti-corruption ambassador, Marie Ivanovich, was fired. I want to hear someone dispute the fact that Donald Trump told Vice President Pence to not go to President Zelensky's inauguration. I want to hear someone dispute the fact that President Trump ignored the talking points about anti-corruption in his both April 21 and July 25 calls with President Zelensky. Well, gentlemen, you I want to hear someone dispute the facts that President Trump invoked his political rival's name four times on that July 25 call. I want to hear someone dispute the facts that the President's chief of staff said, we are withholding the military aid because the Ukrainians need to investigate 2016. Not I. We, we as in Mick Mulvaney and Donald Trump. I want to hear someone dispute the facts that Ambassador Sondland said that a White House meeting absolutely quid pro quo conditioned on the investigations. I also listened to your witness, Professor Turley, and he said President Trump's call was anything but perfect. That was your witness who said it was anything but perfect. I want to see a show of hands on your side. Does anyone agree with the one witness that you were able to bring that that call was anything but perfect? That is sad, and you will regret that you have sanctioned this. And I yield back. Gentlemen, Mr. Chairman. It's Mr. Cicilline's time. I yield back, Mr. Chairman. Gentleman yields back, Mr. Johnson. For what purposes, Mr. Johnson, seek recognition? Move to strike last word. Gentleman is recognized. <laughs> I want to speak in favor of the uh, Biggs Amendment. I'll ignore Mr. Swalwell's rhetorical question. Um, it's kind of a silly one. 
I do want to refute what uh, Ms. Cicilline has said and what some of the others have said here, that there's just, there's just no evidence in the record that the president was concerned about corruption. I mean, of course that's absurd. Everybody at home knows this. The president's been talking about foreign governments and foreign corruption and the misuse of American taxpayers' treasure since before he ran for president. He tweets about it all the time. I mean, everybody knows this. This is one of these things in the law that's just well understood. We would call it res ipsa loquitur. But look, every witness in the record, every witness testified that President Trump was concerned about corruption with foreign governments. That, that, uh, that includes Ukraine. And the White House released a transcript of the remarks between President Trump and President Zelensky before the bilateral meeting in New York, uh, September 25th. This is after the funds are released, of course. But he's explaining that he became convinced that the new Ukrainian administration was serious about reform measures. Let me read you a couple of excerpts from that. President Trump says, Hi, I'm here with President, the President of Ukraine. He's very, very strongly looking into all sorts of corruption and some of the problems they'd had over the years. I think it's one of the primary reasons he got elected, the president says. His reputation is absolutely sterling. It's an honor to be with you. You go through the transcript. President Zelensky responds a few moments later. Thank you for your support, especially now when you know we have two, really two wars in Ukraine. The first one is with corruption, you know, but we'll fight. No, we'll be the winner in this fight, I'm sure. A couple of pages later in the transcript, President Trump goes back. And stop corruption in Ukraine, because that will really make you great. That will make you great personally, he's talking to Zelensky, and it'll also be so tremendous for your nation in terms of what you want to do and where you want to take it. Later, President Trump says, I want him to do whatever he can. This was not his fault. He wasn't there in the previous years. Uh, he's been here recently, just recently. But whatever he can do in terms of corruption, because the corruption is massive. I know the president. I've read a lot about Ukraine. He wants to stop corruption. The president continues. He was elected, I think, number one on the basis of stopping corruption, which unfortunately has plagued Ukraine. And if he could do that, he's doing really the whole world a big favor. I know and I think he's going to be successful. It goes on and on through the transcript, and I'll ask unanimous consent to enter a clean copy of this into the record, Mr. Chairman. Uh, but, but I just want to say that, thank you, with, with this, is just one additional piece, as with all the other pieces of evidence, the very thin, paper-thin record that we have here. One thing is very clear, that you can't even, I don't even think you can refute it with a straight face. Everybody knows the president is concerned about the misuse of American taxpayer dollars overseas. It's one of his primary driving forces. It's one of his main talking points. So for anybody to sit in here today and pretend like that isn't the case, that he wasn't, oh, Ukraine, the third most corrupt nation in the world is the only one on the list that he wasn't concerned about? It just doesn't even, it doesn't hold water, it doesn't make sense, and nobody back home is buying this. No one. So let's stop with the games. Let's acknowledge this for what it is, and let's move on. I yield back. Gentleman, gentleman yields back. Uh, gentleman yields, gentleman's I, I, yielding. I yield the remainder of my time. I'm sorry, I had some left. I yield to Mr. Jordan. Well, I just want to answer the, the, the uh, statement that uh, gentleman from Rhode Island made a little bit earlier. He said, pointing at Mr. Biggs' amendment, that his amendment was not true. The amendment's real clear. It says Ukraine's, uh, the Ukrainians under President Zelensky signed two major anti-corruption measures. That's exactly what they did. They enacted this high anti-corruption court when he first, when the parliament was first sworn in, and they got rid of absolute immunity for members of their parliament. Two pretty darn important anti-corruption measures. In fact, Mr. Morrison, when he testified in front of this committee, 
told us, when he, no, excuse me, when he did his deposition, he told us that when they were there with Ambassador Bolton visiting with the Ukrainians, August 27th, he said the Ukrainians were tired because they'd been up all night preparing this legislation, putting it together. That's how focused they were on this. And then when it passed, when it, it was enacted, that's in fact when the aid was released. You'll, uh, if I could, if the gentleman would, I'll yield back and yield to the ranking. No, I'll yield to the ranking member. The, no? Uh, yield to Mr. Gates. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I think House Democrats would have you believe that somehow this impeachment effort is the outgrowth of organic activity from the president, when the reality is they have intended to impeach this president from the very beginning. And it was actually the chairman, when campaigning to be the head of the Judiciary Committee, who said that he'd be best on the impeachment issue. This is a New York Times article, December 18th, 2017. And it, it says, as a, our constitutional expert, and with his demonstrated leadership on impeachment in the 90s, Nadler is our strongest member to lead a potential impeachment. This is what Chairman Nadler wrote on his pocket-sized campaign literature to his fellow Democrats when he wanted the job. He was literally campaigning on impeachment before the president even made the phone call to President Zelensky. It's who they are, it's what they've wanted, and it's all because they cannot stand the fact that the America First movement is the most powerful movement in American political history. Mr. Chairman, I seek unanimous consent to enter into the record this New York Times article from December 18th, 2017, outlining your ambition on impeachment. Back, back home in my two seconds left, we call that a mic drop moment. I yield back. Gentleman yields back. Mr. Chairman, uh, the, uh, for what purpose does this Jayapal recognition? Strike last word. Gentlelady's recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I want to go back to the facts, and I want to go back to this amendment. Um, my colleague from Florida said that this amendment is putting forward a, quote, understandable reason for why the president withheld the aid and then suddenly released the aid. And my colleagues on the other side have also made the point that we don't know what the intent was of the president. This is the stated intent, that because he was waiting, for the Ukrainian government to do some massive anti-corruption measures, that that was the intent. But I just want to remind people again of what I said yesterday. The president is the smoking gun. After his call with President Zelensky, the president came out onto the lawn and he was asked by, by a reporter, what did you want to get out of that call with President Zelensky? And the president said, I wanted him to, and these aren't the exact words, but he basically said, I wanted him to open an investigation into the Bidens. It's that simple. So the president himself has told us what his intent is. But let's go on to say that if my Republican colleagues, as, as some just did, argue that the president, nobody can argue that the president is so interested in corruption. Of course, he's so interested in corruption. I would go back again to the facts that are on the table, which is that in 2017 and in 2018, the president released aid, not just to any country, but to Ukraine. Now, my colleagues have also said that the president knew that President Zelensky was an anti-corruption fighter, but they just wanted to see if, if maybe he was really going to follow through. So they're saying that the person before this president, before President Zelensky, the previous president of Ukraine, was a corrupt individual. They've said that through their, through their remarks. Well, if that president was corrupt, why, if President Trump cared so much about corruption, why did he release the aid in 2017 and 2018 to Ukraine? Now, it was the 
Then I'd like to get to the question of this particular amendment. Um, I, I looked at that OMB letter, and I would call that an after-the-fact cover-up. Why do I say that? I say that because if you look at the timeline, and some of my colleagues have laid out pieces of this, but let me lay out a few more. On June 18th, we already know about the May letter that the Department of Defense sent saying that Ukraine had passed all of its anti-corruption uh, requirements. On June 18th, the Department of Defense publicly announced that it would release the military aid to Ukraine. Lieutenant Colonel Vindman testified that by July 3rd, he was aware of the hold and he was aware that the Office of Management and Budget, OMB, was making queries that were, quote, abnormal. He used that word abnormal. Fiona Hill testified that there was no explanation given for the hold. Under Secretary of State, David Hale testified that he was frustrated because he was simply told that this was the president's wish. In August, in August, several OMB divisions, several divisions wrote a joint memo recommending that military aid go to Ukraine as soon as possible. And they said in that memo that it was necessary, this military aid was necessary for supporting a stable and peaceful Europe. I would also note that just recently, just a few weeks ago, two OMB officials resigned. And they resigned because of deep concerns that they had about what they were being asked to do. One of those individuals worked in the legal department that issued this after-the-fact cover-up memo from OMB. Now, let me just ask the American people this. If the president was waiting, had deep concerns about corruption, and was waiting for Ukraine to take major steps on corruption, let me ask you what you think any president might do in that situation. Might they ask the Department of Defense to follow up on those major anti-corruption uh, things that they were trying to get done? They didn't, he did not do that. Would, they, would that president inform top agencies who are uh, about those concerns? No, he didn't do that either. In fact, they were all universally in agreement that the aid should be released. And might the president inform Congress that this was something that he was concerned about and he had to withhold the aid. He didn't do that either. After the fact, cover up memo. That's all this is, and we need to oppose this amendment. Gentlelady's time has expired. For what purpose does uh, Mr. Collins seek to strike the last word? Gentlemen's recognized. It, it is amazing that this is an after the fact cover up since it was asked for by a Democratic senator. A Democratic senator asked for this letter. So that's an after-the-fact cover-up when a Democratic senator asks for a letter explaining the process on how this happens, an after-the-fact cover-up. This is exactly what I thought would happen when we come back from lunch and come back from our break. All the, all the things were, were over, their, their arguments were dead, everything was going, and they said, well, let's get back in there and tell the same things over and over again. Maybe the ones who were watching in the morning wasn't watching in the afternoon. That's got to be one of the best ones I've heard, though, an after-the-fact cover-up when it was asked for by a Democratic senator just a few weeks ago. How is that an after, I mean, I guess Trump's blame for a Democratic senator thinking, ooh, be careful what you wish for. 
But there's other things that's coming out again. One of the things that really bugged me here is this, this lawful delay. This money was not due to be appropriated. It could have been by Congress. We'd have said do it on a certain day. We said by September 30th. So really and truly, if there was no ever interaction between the U.S. and Ukraine and the money was not listed until September 30th, there was nothing wrong here, and there's still nothing wrong here. It's been evidence to me that the evidence reveals that only the majority, again, this one is just mind-boggling. How was anybody in the press or anybody else let them get away with the continual belittling of Mr. Zelensky? They've called him a politician derogatorily. They've called him an actor. They've called him weak. They've called him everything else in the world. He's cowering. I mean, use the adjectives, and I'll go back to their adjective. You know, if they don't believe me here, if it looks like a duck, acts like a duck, walks like a duck, well, this is what they're doing. They're tearing him down in the eyes of the public, and they keep doing it over and over again to try and get at the president. This is crazy. You know why they do that, though? Again, I'm going to repeat it one more time because there seems to be a problem of, of reruns around here. The reason I keep repeating this is, is because they can't make their case. They keep putting this out there, and again, it is amazing to me. The next untruth that we're dealing with here today, and this one is very sensitive to, to many in the military, many who have been texting me who served overseas on our military and others. When they say, and put in an article, we agreed to put it in the record, 13 Ukrainian soldiers were killed during President Donald Trump's administration withholding aid from the country from mid-July to September. Guess what, my colleagues? There were Ukrainians killed when we were, had, they had received their previous aid. There were Ukrainians who were killed in this battle before. This is, a, this is the most despicable, despicable of drive-bys. To say that this many, your Tayan undersecretary held has told you over and over, you talk about evidence, read the transcript. He said this was prospective money, not current money. But yet we keep putting it in the record because if you tell the story enough time, somebody out there is going to believe it. That's despicable for these 13s who lost their lives in Ukraine, and it's despicable for anyone who's actually fought in a battle for this country. Don't keep doing it, and if they do, call them out on it. We're going to call facts facts here. There's no crime. You know why? It's interesting. My friend from California just said, where, where are they on these different things? Where's the Democrats? My question is, where's your crimes? You talk about them. You want people to think they're there. You want people to come out and say, well, there's bribery, extortion, high-minded words. And you do it over and over and over again. The problem is, if you had it, you would have put articles on it. You don't have it, so you didn't put articles on it. That's the stain on your articles. That's the stain on this committee. This committee couldn't make their case, so they came up with abuse of power. So they could put anything in it. And today we've heard that over and over and over again. Why? Because at the end of the day, the aid was delivered, nothing was held, but yet we're going to tell because they were supposedly pressured that the two on the call said didn't exist and the Ukrainian leader said did not exist over and over and over again but our majority would rather misperk Mr. Zelensky and take him down because they can't make their case my question is who are they hurting now they're trying to take down the American president and they're trying to take down the Ukrainian president at the same time by making him look small in the middle of his own country in the middle of a hot war you can't have quid pro quo. You can't have pressure if the gentleman who is supposedly pressured says there is no pressure. You can't make excuses for him when he goes out over and over again and talks about it because he looks at it as it was in the call. But also to me, it is just amazing, continuing this discussions to get people distracted. People died because money was held. That's not true. Quit saying it. And I don't care how many times you put it in a Newsweek article, it's still not true. 
when you understand what's going on here, that at the end of the day, it's very simple. I'll make it very slow for you to copy. They can't make a crime. They hold back to the fact that we can impeach him for anything, and that's what they've done. I yield back. Unanimous consent request, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman. The gentleman yields back. Unanimous consent request. The gentleman is recognized for Los Angeles Times story, October 16. Trump froze military aid as Ukrainian soldiers perished in battle. Without objection. I object. I'm not sure how many times that this is being perpetrated, but it was perspective money, not current money. The gentleman does not have the time. Uh, Mr. Deutsch, for what purposes, Mr. Deutsch? Coming from attention. the Los Angeles First Times. First, consent request. Gentlemen, yes. uh, gentlemen yes. is recognized. I see consent to uh, submit for the record the May 23rd letter from John Rood uh, certifying that the government of Ukraine has taken action to make uh, institutional reforms to decrease corruption. Objection. And I move to straight the last word. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mr. Chairman, it is the ranking member was right. It is important to, to repeat some of what's been said because most of America doesn't watch all day long, but um, for people who do, they need to understand that the reason we're here, the reason that we're moving forward on articles of impeachment is because the President of the United States abused his power by soliciting foreign interference in his own reelection, thereby cheating American voters. It's true that on May 23rd, the date that the Undersecretary of Defense certified that Ukraine had taken action to make institutional reforms to combat corruption. It's, it's true that they had done that that day. It's an important day <clears throat> because we've talked a lot about Ukraine needing the, the assistance, the security assistance as they were at war with Russia, and they did. Uh, they also needed the White House meeting. And also on May 23rd, it's just important for us to remember what the facts are. On May 23rd, a delegation returned from President Zelensky's inauguration, they met with the President, and the President told them, work with Rudy. Ambassador Sondland said, work with Giuliani or abandon the goal of a White House meeting. Let me say a word about Ambassador Sondland. My colleagues have challenged Ambassador Sondland's uh, credibility, but it's important to pay attention to what he and others have testified to under oath. And if you think that a million-dollar donor to President Trump is not credible, then we should look at all of the testimony and the text messages and the emails to others and, uh, and examine it closely. So they came back and they said, work with Rudy. And then on May 29th, the President invited President Zelensky to the White House. So President Zelensky expected that he would be coming. And Sondland then said that there was a prereq prerequisite of investigations. Lieutenant Colonel Vindman said that Sondland told the Ukrainians on July 10th to treat the investigation, that the investigation of the Bidens was a deliverable, necessary to get the meeting. Then on July 19th, Ambassador Sondland emailed Robert Blair and Lisa, and Lisa Kenny, Brian uh, McCormick, and Chief of Staff Mulvaney and Secretary Perry and Secretary Pompeo, all of them, and said that Zelensky was prepared to receive POTUS's call and offer assurance on the investigation. And Volker had breakfast with Giuliani and texted Ambassador Sondland and said, most important is for Zelensky to say he will help 
with the investigation. And then Volker texted the morning of the call. He texted Yermak and said, heard from the White House, assuming President Zelensky convinces Trump that he will investigate and get to the bottom of what happened, we will nail down a date for a visit to Washington. That's, those are the facts. That's what was provided in text messages and emails and there's been all this focus on the call. This is an effort that started the moment that this delegation got back from the inauguration. And it continued through the end of May and June and July. And then there was a call, but it continued on through August and through September. This isn't one time with eight lines. This is a concerted effort to make sure that Ukraine, who was at war with Russia, understood that they weren't going to get their security assistance and they weren't going to get their White House meeting until they announced an investigation of the president's principal political opponent. That is abuse of power. And I, multiple times, my colleagues over here have asked if anyone objects to the president of the United States abusing his power for political gain like that. But I, I would finish with this. Ambassador Taylor, when he came and testified under oath, he said, during our call on September 8th, Ambassador Sondland tried to explain that President Trump is a businessman. When a businessman is about to sign a check to someone who owes him something, he asked that person to pay up before signing. I argued, he said, that made no sense. Ukrainians did not owe President Trump anything. That's true. They owed him nothing to get the White House meeting. They owed him nothing to get their aid. And they owed nothing to him for his assistance Chairman. in his campaign. And I yield back. Chairman. Gentleman yields back. For what purpose does uh, Mr. Sensenbrenner seek recognition? Mr. Chairman, I move to strike the last word. Gentleman is recognized. I yield the ranking member. Thank you, Mr. It is amazing to me that, again, the things that will come out of this markup is not the simple fact that they're going to mark up this and they'll send it to the floor. It is what they will perpetrate to try to hide the weakness of their argument. I have now given uh, the article that uh, the gentleman from California wants admitted, again, perpetrating the falsehood that people were killed because of money. And in the own article, which is biased against the president, biased against the whole situation, it has this line. Although there is no way to link Markov and the other dozens' death directly to the lack of aid. Yeah, let's keep putting stuff in here that proves your pathetic argument. The article itself, which is biased against the president, actually says there's no way to link it, but yet we're doing it every time in here. Keep giving them. I'll keep accepting them. Wonderful article. Great job. Because you're making my point. I guess I could hush and just let you make my point for me. But all you want to do is to smirk the dead. And, pro and go after Mr. Zelensky as weak and powerless. That's what's going to come out of this. So I guess, Mr. I would draw my objection on this. It makes my point. Y'all have any more you want to put in? Keep going. But Ms. Sperking and Dad is not going to get you anywhere. I yield back. I yield back, Ms. Uh, I yield back. Gentleman yields back. Mr. Chairman. Gentleman yields back without objection. The material will be inserted in the record. I have a unanimous consent request. Gentleman, uh, recognized for unanimous consent request. I would like to uh, ask unanimous consent to put a roll call article into the record 
entitled Ukrainian Lives Hung in the Balance as Trump held up aid, quoting a uh, National War College official about the without, adverse impact on Without objection. Uh, for what purpose does Mr. Johnson seek recognition? Move to strike the last word. Gentlemen, is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I move in opposition to the Biggs Amendment. Um, my colleague from Georgia talks about how Democrats uh, are trying to make President Zelensky look weak. Well, I tell you, that brings to mind the picture of President Trump and President Zelensky meeting in New York in September uh, at the UN, and a big chair for President Trump, little chair for President Zelensky, big six foot four President Trump, five foot 11 Mr. Zelensky, President Zelensky, and they're standing there and President Trump is holding court, and he says, oh, by the way, no, no, uh, no, no pressure. And you saw President Zelensky shaking his head as if his daughter was downstairs in the basement duct taped. <laughs> I mean, there's a imbalance of power in that relationship. It always has been. And uh, there's no way that the nation of Ukraine can stand up to the power, to the power of the United States of America. And President Trump used that unequal bargaining position. He leveraged his power in that relationship, not for the benefit of the United States of America, but, but for his own benefit. He, again, held President Zelensky over a barrel up there in New York, the same way he did on the telephone call on the 20. 5th of July, and he told him, look, I know that you need those javelins, but I need you to do me a favor, or do us a favor, and who was us, by the way? Was it the American people, or was it the Trump campaign? And all of those corrupt officials that uh, he aligns himself with, half of whom are in jail or facing charges, or facing sentencing. Who was he talking about? Us. It wasn't the American people. It was the Trump Organization and the Trump campaign. And that's wrong. It's wrong for the United States president to use his position for, his, for himself. It's wrong. And that's what President Trump did, and that's what we're holding him accountable for today. And President Trump pretty much sold out our Constitution for his own personal benefit. We're called upon today with the question of whether or not we're going to sell out our positions, whether or not we're going to be sellouts. I mean, each and every one of us had a career before we came to Congress. I myself was a criminal defense lawyer, and I enjoy my job. <clears throat> I'm honored to represent the biggest client that I've ever represented, and that is the citizens of the 4th Congressional District of Georgia. But I would gladly, to protect the Constitution, give up my job that I love, and I'd go back to Georgia to do what I used to do if 
I had to pay a heavy price for doing what was right for the Constitution. And that's what my friends on the other side of the aisle are charged with now. I know that there's a lot of fear about what, about them being in Zelensky's position, about them being in that little small chair with the president, with the bully pulpit, the right-wing media, Fox News, everything being on his side and him levying and leveraging that power against them as they uh, approach their primaries. They don't want to get primaried. I know that that is the, the desire, but let's not sell out the country for our own desire, which is exactly what we're charged with protecting our country from President Trump doing. Let's not do that. Let's make ourselves look good in the eyes of history. Let's do the right thing. And with that, I will yield back. Gentleman yields back. Uh, for what purpose does the gentlelady from Florida, Ms. McCarcel Powell, seek recognition? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I move to strike the last word. Gentlelady is recognized. Thank you. Um, I want to respond to, I've been here all day listening to all, all the comments from my Republican colleagues. And the one thing that has continued to be mentioned is that there has been no crime committed. And I have been asked by some of the people that live in my district, live in my community, Americans that say, but what is the crime? And I have to say that there is no higher crime than for the president to use the power of his office to corrupt our elections. We are seeing behavior from this president that we have not seen in the history of our country violating three of the most dangerous um, violations of the Constitution. One, abuse of power through self-dealing. Two, betrayal of national security. Three, corruption of our elections. And I want to make something very clear. We are here today because the President of the United States of America has violated the law. The President's conduct meets all the elements of criminal bribery under 18 U.S.C. 201 B2A. A public official demands or seeks anything of value personally in return for being influenced in the performance of any official act. Why are we here? How did we get here? The Inspector General of the Intelligence Community brought to Congress an urgent and credible threat to our national security, to our democracy. That is why we're here today. You have heard conspiracy theories. You have heard things that are not true to distract from the fact that this president abused the power of his office to extort a foreign government for his own private political gain, not for the interest of the United States of America. Now, you also hear about um, that we're trying to overturn our election. If you see, they have a poster over there saying that we're trying to overturn the election. That couldn't be anything farther from the truth. It is a ridiculous statement. Impeachment is a crucial part of the Constitution that ensures a democratic government. It was created by the founders as a check 
to prevent a president from becoming a king. And it is incredible to me to see some of my colleagues bend over backwards to cover up for this president. My sister is a yoga teacher. She doesn't contort the way some of my Republican colleagues distort the facts all to protect this president. The founders knew that elections would come every four years, but included impeachment in the Constitution to protect the republic against a president who would be an eminent threat to our democracy. And that is why we are here today, because this president has shown us that he is welcoming foreign interference. He has asked Russia, he has asked Ukraine, he has asked China, asking him, asking them to investigate his political opponents. We've seen it. We have seen those videos. That is direct evidence. We have documentary evidence. We have a transcript of a call. We have text messages. We have emails from Ambassador Sondland. Everyone was in the loop. This is a scheme that began back in February, March. This was a complaint that was brought forth to Congress because it was an urgent and credible threat. The President of the United States has violated the law. He has abused his power. He is undermining our freedoms, our democracy. We must act. That is why we're here today. No one, no president in this country is above the law. I yield back my time. The gentleman yields back. For what purpose does Mr. Armstrong seek recognition? Move to strike the last word. Gentlemen is recognized. I think that argument would have a lot more merit on the abuse of power charge if we don't take a look back and look at the whole destination and how we got here. And the reason I say that is because for two years we heard about Russian conspiracy, Russian collusion. How are you going to prove it? Chairman of the Intelligence Committee went on national TV and said he had direct evidence of Russian conspiracy. Well, the Mueller report came out. And actually, if you watch media, about a week before the Mueller report came out, we started switching to obstruction and obstruction of justice. And so we go through that. And the Mueller report comes out and shows there's absolutely no conspiracy, absolutely no collusion. So we're going to check that off the list. Now we go to 10 articles of obstruction of justice, and we walk through it, and we bring Bob Mueller into the judiciary hearing, and I'm pretty certain there were people marking out statues next to the Washington Monument of, of gratitude and gravitas of Bob Mueller. Well, that hearing fell flat, and obstruction of justice was abandoned. So then we moved into a July 25th phone call, and we went to quid pro quo. And quid pro quo kept going and kept going, but then they decided that wasn't working really well. So we poll tested bribery. And bribery had a little bit of a problem because you cannot prove the elements of the crime. And I don't care how many different ways we say it, when the victim of the crime, alleged victim, continues to go on national TV, international press conferences every step of the way and deny that he was a victim and deny that there was a crime, we move on. So we move from things of of uh, campaign finance, which didn't even work in the Mueller report and continued to moving forward. So instead of starting an investigation in a general way and moving towards a specific crime, we try and pick 17 different specific crimes. And when they never get there, instead of doing what any reasonable investigator would do and say, there is no there there, we take it all and we put it together. And then we say, well, because we can't prove any of it, we're going to use all of it. 
And so if we want to know why we're here today, that's why we're here today. Because this started the day President Trump got elected. It is continue, it's continued through the Mueller report, not to be deterred. In a separate different thing, the day after the Mueller report uh, hearings happened in the Judiciary Committee, I was in the Oversight Committee when they, when they subpoenaed the personal emails of every member of the Trump family. From, this is never going to stop. I agree with my colleague from Ohio. It is never going to stop. And we don't, we will continue to move forward, but you cannot move through all of these specific crimes, use these words for weeks at a time, and the minute they fall apart, we just move on to the next thing. I think that's why you're losing the support of the American people. I think that's why you're losing support of your colleagues on your side of the aisle in Congress. And that's why we're here. So let's so let's call it like it is and explain how we got here, why we're here, and where we continue to go. And well, gentlemen, that I, who? who yeah, I'll yield the ranking member. Thank you. Ms. Herman, you just brought up a great point. You know why we know what you just said is true? You know, again, we've, had, we've gotten a lot of non-truth here, and we just say it over and over enough so people believe it. But you, what you just said is completely true, that this will never end. You know why we know that? Adam Schiff's own words and Al Green's own words. Adam Schiff, in the, even the other day, giving a, a, in his, uh, one of his press conferences, which he loves dearly, he loves to testify in front of cameras, just not in front of members, where he has to actually answer questions. And he said, we're just going to keep, no matter what happens, we're going to keep investigating, 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 we're going to start it off. I wish the, I mean, Mr. Ackley, if you're on the intel committee, and I know others on this, well, it'd be nice if y'all get back to oversight of the in intelligence community, that'd be nice, shocking uh, proposition for a committee that's supposed to be doing that. But then also Mr. Green said we can impeach him over and over and over again. This is what's happening. It's a farce. We can't come up with crimes, so we say crimes. We can't put them in the articles because we can't make it happen. But yet, just like you said, I just want to commend you for telling the truth. You told the truth. This is not going to end no matter what. Except, and the reason we know it is because we don't have to infer. We don't have to find articles to put in the record. We just listen to their own words. I yield back to Mr. Armstrong. And with that, I yield back. Gentleman yields back. What purpose does Ms. Demings seek recognition? Mr. Chairman, I move to strike the next last word. Gentlelady's recognized. You know, I rise today in opposition of uh, this amendment. It is so obvious, it's so obvious that it is a last minute, after the fact, desperate scramble to cover up the president's wrongdoing. And I tell you what, we're not falling for it. And I really do believe the American people are not falling for it and probably are offended by it. You know, my Republican colleagues have talked about a lot of things today. And they're really working very hard to protect the president. It appears like at any and all costs. But I really wish that my colleagues on the other side would work as hard to protect voting rights for the American people, believing that everybody should have the right to vote and that cheating in our elections by anyone at any time or any place is just not right. It just amazes me to suggest that abuse of power is somehow inadequate or inappropriate or not serious enough abuse of power by the highest position in the land, the leader of the free world, that abuse of power is not enough to impeach this president or any other president. But the framers 
were so desperately concerned about abuse of power by the president, by, they, were, they were terrified of the thought of an unprincipled man, a person finding their way into the White House. To suggest that abuse of power is not serious, it's not enough, is simply ridiculous to me. The president has a constitutional duty, and that really is the highest document in the land, to violate the Constitution. He has a constitutional duty to faithfully execute the law. Well, that's what it says, to faithfully execute the law. Is there anybody here, I don't care what comes out of your mouth today, is there anybody here who believes that this president has faithfully executed the law and faithfully executed the duties, the sacred trust that has been put in his hands and on his shoulder. He's supposed to faithfully execute the law, not ignore it, not abuse it, and not forget it. The president is supposed to be motivated by public interest, public interest, the interest of the people, but rather than remembering that or caring about that, I'm not really sure he ever really did, the president chose to try to coerce a foreign power, a newly elected young president that we all were excited about, an anti-corruption president. The president tried to coerce him into interfering in the 2020 elections. The things that I have heard today about Vice President's child, things I've heard about the Vice President's son, when we have millions of people in this country who are suffering from addiction, I just believe to protect this President at any cost is shameful. Article 2 in the Nixon impeachment said this, the article principally addressed President Nixon's use of power, including powers vested solely in the president to aid his political allies, harm his political opponents, and gain improper personal political advantages. In explaining this article of impeachment, the House Judiciary Committee then stated that President Nixon's conduct was undertaken for his personal political advantage and not in the furtherance of any valid national policy objective. The president abused his power. And to me, and at least the members on this side of the dais, that matters. And with that, I yield the remaining time to Mr. Richmond from Louisiana. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Very quickly, I just want to remind people that when, or the people watching, that when you look at the credibility of a testimony and weighing the evidence, you can look at other things. So I want to enter into the record unanimous consent, the Guardian uh, article, Roger Stone, the Michael Cohen, the men in Trump's orbit implicated in crimes. Without objection. CNN politics, six Trump associates had Trump associates have been convicted in Mueller-related investigation. Without without In an of my wise grandmother who said, birds of a feather flock together. Without uh, and then also, President Trump has made 13,435 false or misleading claims over 993 days. My friend's time's expired. Without objection, and the gentleman's time has expired.
I, for what purposes the gen does, uh, Ms. Jackson Lee seek recognition? To strike the last word. General ladies recognized. Mr. Chairman, thank you. And I, I wanted to speak first to the underlying amendment that calls for uh, the um, acknowledgement that the aid was released in uh, the um, article, uh, first article, I believe. And um, I want to, uh, again, recount not only the July 25th call, where previously I've indicated uh, the president's language of we're asked, would like you to do us a favor, though, that that was not tied to the uh, us representing the entity of a public representation, which would be the United States of America, established foreign policy by the Secretary of State, established foreign policy by the Secretary of Defense. And that is because, of course, the Secretary of Defense and State had already certified that Ukraine was working to graduate uh, to um, uh, working to uh, ensure uh, the uh, end of corruption that had met the standards that were required for funding. The other thing is that when Lieutenant Colonel Vinman uh, thought that the words that he heard were appalling and seemed to him uh, to be inappropriate for a call to the president uh, as relates to a question tying the military aid to uh, investigation of Biden and others, sons and others, not official policy, he immediately gave it to the NSC counsel, John Eisenberg. John Eisenberg uh, took the information and then ultimately put it uh, in a uh, separate coded filing and asked that the lieutenant colonel not say anything about it. That is unusual because you would think uh, that if it was normal business, if it had to do with standard U.S. foreign policy, it would be okay to talk about that call. But they knew a major mistake had been made. They knew that the president had offered to give military aid if he got an investigation against his political rival, and his political rival happened to be Joe Biden, uh, and he knew uh, that that was, in fact, conspicuously using public office and public money for public and private desires. Let me also say that our friends talk about the courts. We have not shied away from the courts. In fact, Judge Howell, uh, regarding the 6E grand jury materials, specifically said there is an impeachment inquiry. You can't stand in the way, Mr. President. Judge Jackson indicated in her decision that the president was not a king. And so we're here to talk about not as a mother someone's child who may have some concerns like every American's child may have, which I am saddened that those personal matters were raised. We're here to talk about the abuse of this president and the obstruction of Congress, another amendment that we voted against. Because in Rodino's statement during the Nixon proceedings, he made it very clear to President Nixon regarding his failure to comply with subpoenas issued pursuant to the Watergate impeachment inquiry. 
and the Constitution reinforces the fact that we have the sole power of impeachment. And the underlying decisions of the two court decisions I mentioned was that we were in an impeachment inquiry. And as a reminder to my colleagues, this committee ultimately approved uh, an article of impeachment against Richard Nixon on the obstruction of Congress matter. I wanted to clean up and bring some more points on that. And it was clear uh, that it was a case where the president could not dictate to the House impeachment inquiry what he was refusing to give or not. This is where my friends steer off the rails. They refuse to acknowledge the facts of the case. The president took public money with a public intent, with a private intent, to use those monies to deny Mr. Zelensky, who was going to go ahead and announce uh, investigations on CNN, but was stopped in his tracks when the whistleblower's letter or statement was released it was out the bag that the president had done this on the July 25th call. Let's be clear, this is about facts and the Constitution. I yield back, Mr. Chairman. Gentlelady yields back. For what purpose does Ms. McBath seek recognition? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been sitting here Gentle all lady, day. Gentlelady, strike the last word. Yes, excuse me. I moved Gentle to strike the recognized. last word. <laughs> I've been anxiously sitting here all day long, and I just want to be able to say this to the American people before our day ends today. Um, my colleagues and I have been explaining the evidence that we've heard. We've been talking about all the documents uh, and heard from so many witnesses along the way. And as, we've been hold, as we have been upholding our constitutional obligation to defend the Constitution, some today have argued that we have not upheld our constitutional obligation to legislate, to solve problems, and that all we want to do is impeach the President of the United States. And I truly want to assure the American people and to give you hope that this is not true. I want to make sure that we set the record straight so that you know that we have been working on your behalf. And despite what many people in this country think, Congress can walk and chew gum at the same time. This Congress has been working very, very hard on behalf of the American people in spite of everything that's happening with this impeachment. This very day, a bill, we passed a bill that lowers the cost of prescription drugs for hundreds of millions of Americans, H.R. 3. It will save our taxpayers over $456 billion over the next decade and allow for the expansion of Medicare coverage, including hearing, dental, and vision benefits. Just this week, we achieved mon to monumental changes to the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement. Yes, we've been waiting a very long time for that. This agreement is huge. It's a huge win for our families, our workers, and business owners in every district across the United States. And we continue to work to make sure that we stay competitive in a global environment. Yesterday, we voted to support the NDAA, legislation that will keep our country safe and will give a raise to our service members and includes important reforms like paid parental leave for all federal employees and repealing the widow's tax. And even on this committee, we've worked together. This week, my Republican colleague, Congressman 
Rushenthal and I were among a bipartisan group of lawmakers who introduced legislation that would end online child exploitation. Since we've been sitting in this room today, a deal has been forged by our colleagues to fund our government and avoid another shutdown. Throughout this investigation, my colleagues and I have been fulfilling our duties as members of Congress. Do not be deceived. We have been working on the American public's behalf every single day in spite of the tragedy that we're in now with this impeachment. This Congress, the House of Representatives, we have passed over 275 bills. 275 bills. And we are defending our democracy and delivering on the promises that we made to each and every one of our constituents. I want the American public to know this. We are truly disheartened by what is happening here with impeachment. But do know that we are working on your behalf each and every single day. We will continue to do what we swore an oath to do, and that is to protect and serve you. Even in this moment, in this tragedy, be rest assured we will do just that. And I yield back the balance of my time. The gentlelady yields back. For what purpose does Mr. Raskin seek recognition? Move to strike the last word. The gentleman is recognized. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. You know, in law school, I teach my students to try to take the best argument of their opponents and not the worst arguments. And so I'm going to ignore all of the frivolous process objections about the rooms and the temperature and all that kind of stuff we've heard about. And I'm going to try to make what I think is the, the best argument or reconstruct the best argument that's come out today. Um, and I understand that our colleagues face a difficult task because 70% of the American people believe that the president has done something wrong in these actions of trying to pressure a foreign government to get involved in our election. And so they've got a problem there, and they've got another problem, which is that there is an overwhelming and uncontradicted body of evidence that the president did that. The president withheld hundreds of millions of dollars in security assistance that we had voted for a besieged foreign ally resisting Russian aggression because he was trying to get the president of that country, Zelensky, to agree to conduct a press conference in which he would say he was investigating the Bidens. And he also wanted uh, President Zelensky to validate Vladimir Putin's favorite disinformation conspiracy theory about the 2016 campaign, which is that it was Ukraine and not Russia that engaged in a sweeping and systematic campaign to interfere in our election. So what do you do with that? Well, I, we can understand why they've been talking about process for months, but I think they understand this is a serious investigation with rigorous methods and serious inescapable conclusions. And the American people are focused on it. A majority 
not only support the investigation, a majority would like to see the president impeached, according to Fox News anyway, one point. So, but in any event, huge numbers of Americans are very disturbed by this. So what have they come up with? Well, they've not found an alibi. There's no fact alibi. He can't claim somebody else did it. But they've come up with a defense which to me looks like really a mitigating factor, a plea for mercy. The president did all of these things, but his motive is misunderstood. All of us think that he was doing it because he wanted to advance his own reelection prospects. And in some sense, he wanted to help, for whatever reason, his friend Vladimir Putin. And Putin's already been on TV bragging about the fact that everybody's focused on Ukraine in the 2016 election and not Russia. Um, note to Mr. Putin, that's not right. We understand exactly what's going on here. But in any event, um, the new argument is that the president was not trying to advance his own political interests. What he was trying to do was to advance his passionately held and yet little known campaign against corruption. And that's why so much of our discussion today has been about corruption, because they're trying to say he was waging this campaign about corruption. Now, we've noted a number of problems there, uh, and I want to just try to catalog some of the other ones uh, to try to put this into some order so people can understand the problem with their best argument. The first is that the president never raised the word corruption on the July 25th telephone call. Biden's name was mentioned several times. It wasn't corruption, corruption, corruption. It was Biden, Biden, Biden. And he never raised any other companies at all. It was all about Burisma, Hunter Biden's company. That's all that he mentioned. And as far as we know, he's never mentioned any other company in connection with corruption in Ukraine. In 2017 and 18, when Congress voted money for Ukraine, the president passed it along. He didn't raise corruption in Ukraine. He didn't even raise the Bidens at that point. It only became an issue in 2019. In 2019, why? Because Joe Biden had surpassed him in the public opinion polls, and now suddenly it was a big issue, and so he cared about it. Well, um, what's the other evidence here? The president's team, Rudy Giuliani, and Parnas and Fruman engaged in a smear campaign against the U.S. ambassador who was crusading against corruption in Ukraine, and the president got her out of the way. He pulled her back. So all the evidence shows they were promoting corruption and a corrupt scheme. They weren't trying to attack it. I yield back, Mr. Chairman. Gentleman yields Mr. back. Mr. Chairman. Who seeks recognition? For what purpose does the gentlelady seek recognition? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I move to strike the last word. Uh, the gentlelady is recognized. And briefly, Mr. Chairman and members, uh, Mr. Raskin, my colleague, Mr. Raskin, just said Biden's name was used multiple times. Well, I think that's a little misleading. Uh, again, the only place in this whole telephone call where Biden is even brought up is in one little paragraph. And that was on page four of five pages of the transcript. I mean, most of this call was about congratulating President Zelensky and the new parliament, talking about how, um, you know, a lot of these European countries aren't pitching in with the aid uh, that was the, to Ukraine as much as 
um, the United States has, and you know, all kinds of things. It was a long phone call, and it's really disingenuous to say that the whole thing was about this, and Biden was, was mentioned several times. Let me read again. In fact, I, I know that the President Trump tweets this out. Read the transcript, and I wish, wish people would because everybody watches TV and they get all these comments. But I did this with my husband. I said, would you just please read the transcript? It's only five pages long. Doesn't take that much time. And you know, after he read it, he's like, that's it? That's all they got? But here, this is the mention about Biden. Again, page five. The other thing, there's a lot of talk about Biden's son that Biden stopped the prosecution, and a lot of people want to find out about that. So whatever you can do with the Attorney General would be great. B Biden went around bragging that he stopped the prosecution. So if you can look into it, it sounds horrible to me. That's it, folks. That's all there is. So, Mr. Chairman, I yield back. The gentlelady yields back. The question now occurs on the amendment. Those in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed, no, no. In the opinion of the chair, the noes have it, and the amendment is not agreed to. A roll call is requested. The clerk will call the roll. Mr. Nadler? No. Mr. Nadler votes no. Ms. Lofgren? No. Ms. Lofgren votes no. Ms. Jackson Lee? No. Ms. Jackson Lee votes no. Mr. Cohen? Mr. Cohen votes no. Mr. Johnson of Georgia? Mr. Johnson of Georgia votes no. Mr. Deutsch? Mr. Deutsch votes no. Ms. Bass? Ms. Bass votes no. Mr. Richmond? No. Mr. Richmond votes no. Mr. Jeffries? No. Mr. Jeffries votes no. Mr. Cicilline? No. Mr. Cicilline votes no. Mr. Swalwell? No. Mr. Swalwell votes no. Mr. Liu? Mr. Raskin? No. Mr. Raskin votes no. Ms. Jayapal? Ms. Jayapal votes no. Ms. Demings? No. Ms. Demings votes no. Mr. Correa? Ms. Scanlon? No. Ms. Scanlon votes no. Ms. Garcia? No. Ms. Garcia votes no. Mr. Nagoose? Mr. Nagoose votes no. Ms. McBath? No. Ms. McBath votes no. Mr. Stanton? No. Mr. Stanton votes no. Ms. Dean? No. Ms. Dean votes no. Ms. McCarcel Powell? No. Ms. McCarcel Powell votes no. Ms. Escobar? No. Ms. Escobar votes no. Mr. Collins? Mr. Collins votes aye. Mr. Sensenbrenner? Mr. Sensenbrenner votes aye. Mr. Shabbat? Mr. Shabbat votes aye. Mr. Gomert? Aye. Mr. Gomert votes aye. Mr. Jordan? Mr. Jordan votes yes. Mr. Buck? Aye. Mr. Buck votes aye. Mr. Radcliffe? Yes. Mr. Radcliffe votes yes. Ms. Roby? Aye. Ms. Roby votes aye. Mr. Gates? Aye. Mr. Gates votes aye. Mr. Johnson of Louisiana? Aye. Mr. Johnson of Louisiana votes aye. Mr. Biggs? Aye. Mr. Biggs votes aye. Mr. McClintock? Aye. Mr. McClintock votes aye. Ms. Lesko? Aye. Ms. Lesko votes aye. Mr. Reschenthaler? Aye. Mr. Reschenthaler votes aye. Mr. Klein? Aye. Mr. Klein votes aye. Mr. Armstrong? Yes. Mr. Armstrong votes yes. Mr. Stubbe? Yes. Mr. Stubbe votes yes. Has everyone voted who wishes to vote? Mr. Correa, you are not recorded. Mr. Correa? Mr. Correa votes no. Anyone else who wishes to vote who hasn't voted? The clerk will report. Mr. Chairman, there are 17 ayes and 23 noes. The amendment is not agreed to. Are there any further amendments to the amendment in the nature of a substitute? Mr. Chairman, I have an amendment at the desk. Uh, Mr. Reschenthaler has an amendment at the desk. The clerk will report.
Amendment to the Amendment in the Nature of a Substitute to H. Res. 755, offered by Mr. Reschenthaler of Pennsylvania. The lady reserves a point of order. Page 5, beginning on line 6, strike Article 2. I withdraw my point of order. Strike Article 2. The uh, gentleman is recognized for five minutes to explain his amendment. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. My amendment would strike all of Article 2, which is the obstruction of Congress charge. The facts simply do not align with the Democrats' claim of obstruction. Our government has three branches for a reason. When there is a disagreement between the executive and the legislative branch, it is supposed to be resolved by the third branch, the court. Republicans recognized this in 2011 when they investigated President Obama's Fast and Furious scandal. The Fast and Furious scandal allowed 2,000 firearms to fall into the hands of drug cartels and resulted in the death of an American Border Patrol agent. People actually died in President Obama's scandal. Throughout the Republicans' investigation of that scandal, they made numerous attempts to accommodate the Obama administration. Yet despite their efforts, President Obama invoked executive privilege and barred testimony and documents. So what did the Republicans do? The appropriate thing, they went to the courts. Compare those efforts with what we have seen from the Democrats during this impeachment sham. House Democrats could have worked with the administration to reach accommodations for their requests, but they didn't. House Democrats should have worked through the courts, but they didn't. And why is that? It's simple, because they have a political expedient deadline to send this mess out of Congress into the Senate before Christmas. So despite what you hear from my colleagues, the administration has consistently cooperated with Democrats, even though they have been out to get this president since the very moment he was elected. Let's just go through the numbers. Over 25 administration officials have testified before the House Oversight Committee, over 25. Over 20 administration officials have testified before this very committee. The administration has also handed over more than 100,000 pages of documents since the start of the sham impeachment inquiry. Now let's contrast that with the conduct from the Democrats. Democrats have threatened witnesses that, quote unquote, any failure to appear in response to a letter requesting their presence would constitute evidence of obstruction. Let me just go through that language. It's a letter would constitute evidence of, of obstruction. That's not a subpoena, that's a letter. Democrats have also told the State Department employees that if they insisted on using agency counsel to protect executive branch confidentiality interests, they would have their salaries withheld. That kind of sounds like abuse of power, but I digress a little bit. Democrats have not afforded this president basic procedure protections, such as the right to see all the evidence, the right to call witnesses, or the right to have counsel at hearings. But it's just not the Trump administration that's been railroaded by the Democrats. Judiciary Democrats voted down my own subpoena, my own motion to subpoena the whistleblower, even though I said that he, could, he or she could testify in executive session, which would be private, and yet they voted it down on party lines. Chairman Nadler also refused requests 
to have Chairman Schiff testify before this committee. House Democrats also have denied every Republican request for a fact witness. So I ask, who is really obstructing Congress? The Democrats have no case when it comes to obstruction. This obstruction charge is completely basis, baseless and bogus. If they really wanted to charge someone with obstruction, how about they start with Adam Schiff? Thank you, and I yield back the remainder of my time. Gentleman yields back. For what purpose does Ms. Bass seek recognition? Strike the last word. Gentlelady's recognized. Yes, I'd like to begin by answering my colleague's question. He asked, who is really obstructing Congress? Who is obstructing Congress? President Donald Trump. The text of the Constitution devotes only a few sentences to a discussion of impeachment power. Yet among those few sentences is the clear statement that the House possesses the sole power of impeachment. And what that means is, is that within the sole discretion of the House to determine what evidence is necessary then for it to gather in order to exercise that power. So it's unnecessary for the House to go to the court to enforce, in, to enforce subpoenas issued pursuant to an impeachment investigation. If it did, the House's sole power of impeachment would be beholden to the dictates of the judicial rather than the executive branch. Past presidents have disapproved of impeachments, criticized the House, doubted its motives, and insisted they did nothing wrong. But no president, however, including President Nixon, who was on the verge of being impeached for obstruction of Congress, has de had declared himself and the entire branch of government he oversees totally exempt from subpoenas issued by the House pursuant to its sole power of impeachment. President Trump has made compliance with every demand a condition of even considering whether to honor subpoenas, and he has directed his senior officials to violate their own legal obligations to turn over subpoenas and provide testimony. Indeed, the House was only able to conduct its inquiry into to the Ukraine matter because several witnesses, like the ambassadors, the Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, had the courage to defy the President's unlawful command. President Trump's conduct toward the current House impeachment inquiry is unprecedented. My colleagues talk about information that we should wait to get from the courts. We really wouldn't have to wait to get from the courts if the president would comply and provide documents. I remember when, Ambas when Ambassador Sunland was testifying and he said that he was testifying from memory because he wasn't even allowed to have access to his own notes in the State Department. President Trump has abused his power and is a continued threat to our democracy and national security. He's put himself before the country and no one is above the law. When I think of our elections and my concern for our election uh, next year, our elections should be decided by us. Our foreign policy and national security should be based on America's interests, not the president's personal and political interests. We've talked over and over again about the real reason for all of this was his concern about corruption. But as one of my colleagues said earlier today, if he was concerned about corruption, he would be concerned about what is going on in the White House and all of the people who he has been affiliated with who are either awaiting sentences, sent, uh, sent to prison, serving time, or awaiting court. So it's noteworthy that members of the minority never actually defend President Trump's misconduct by disputing the facts of the case, but instead try to deflect and distract with irrelevant issues. 
So I, I just want to uh, end. Someone asked this earlier, but I don't believe my colleagues on the other side of the aisle ever answered. Forget President Trump. Is it ever okay for a president to invite foreign interference in our election? And with that, I yield to my colleague from California. Thank you for yielding. I would like to ask unanimous consent to put into the record the letter from uh, the President's counsel, Pat Cipollone, dated October 8, 2019. Without objection. I just, uh, reflecting on the comments made by my colleague from California, uh, certainly we had a right to receive information. Uh, we have a right to make a judgment on the information that we have been able to obtain because uh, impeachment is solely in the province of the Congress. But just on the narrow issue of, of the assertion of privilege, I think it's important to note that the privilege, no privilege was asserted in this letter by the counsel. He doesn't say it's executive privilege. He doesn't say anything that you could take to court. He just says he doesn't like what we're doing and they're not gonna give us anything. No, not a piece of paper, not a witness, just no. And that is an absurd situation. Um, it is not uh, acceptable and it is really obstruction of Congress, and I thank the gentlelady for yielding and yield back to her. I think my time has expired. I yield back. Gentlelady's gentle, gentle time has expired. Chairman. Uh, for what purpose does Mr. Sensenbrenner seek recognition? I move to strike the last word. Gentlemen's recognized. Uh, listening to my two colleagues from California, this seems to be the greatest amount of circular reasoning that we've heard in the last couple of days. There's been a lot of it, but this is one that I think grabs the blue ribbon. Because what I hear is that an impeachment inquiry, if the White House does not give the House of Representatives in this committee everything we ask for, then that's obstruction of Congress and an impeachable offense. And that's not what the law said, and it's not what the law should be. There are certain privileges and immunities that the president has, uh, irrespective of whether we're doing oversight or whether we're using our Article II power, the sole power of impeachment. And he ought to be able to uh, present those, you know, in a court of law. This is not a court of law. You know, I don't blame White House Counsel Cipollotti for not saying that there were any privileges involved because we know what the answer is going to be. And that is we're going to blow any claim of privilege away. We're going to blow any type of executive immunity away. We are going to simply say we want it and you've got to give it to us no matter whether it's private information or uh, doing some legitimate oversight. Now, we know that uh, the rejection of the argument that we shouldn't have to go to court for that is bogus because the House of Representatives has gone to court to try to get enforcement of subpoenas that are as a result of this impeachment inquiry. Uh, the enforcement against Don McGahn, you know, has gotten as far as the D.C. Circuit. There are others that are pending a little bit further backwards uh, in uh, the judicial system. 
Congress. But what I would like to ask my friends on the majority side is, okay, say we're done with this impeachment inquiry next week. The House passes both articles of impeachment and it goes to the Senate for trial. Does that mean that the whole nexus of why you are attempting to enforce those subpoenas is gone? Are you going to go to court and say it's gone? Are you going to move to dismiss those actions to support uh, enforcement of the subpoenas? If you are following the argument that I've just heard, you got to do it. But I doubt it. I yield back. Gentleman yields back. I recognize myself for five minutes. The uh, actions of the White House, of the President in this case, are different in kind from all previous actions of executives, of presidents. It is not a question of asserting privileges. It is not a question of adjudicating rights, even in court. Rather, the counsel wrote, Given that your inquiry lacks any legitimate constitutional foundation, the executive branch cannot be expected to participate in it. It is not up to the president to decide whether an, an impeachment inquiry by the Congress is legitimate or not. That's our function. That sentence shows right there a usurpation by the president of congressional power, number one. Number two, if the White House had simply asserted privileges for a number of witnesses, that could be adjudicated. And maybe, it may very well be, that had we chosen to, uh, to, to oppose that as a, as a uh, reason for an impeachment, uh, that would be invalid. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the president saying he does not recognize our impeachment and he will not participate in it, he will not grant anything. That is an obstruction of Congress. It's a usurpation of Congress's role to decide whether to have an impeachment inquiry, and it's a decision to completely try to frustrate that uh, inquiry by denying all participation, by denying all documents and all witnesses without asserting any privileges. Okay. There's nothing to do with privileges. Well, no, privileges may be adjudicated in court. An, ass an assertion by the executive that the, that the impeachment power cannot be exercised by Congress is an obstruction of Congress, and if allowed to get away with it, eliminates the power of impeachment as a check on the power of the presidency and is a large step toward dictatorship, because the threat of impeachment is the only threat, the only enforcement mechanism that Congress has on a president who would usurp powers and destroy the separation of powers, especially given the Department of Justice's policy that a president, sitting president cannot be indicted and the administration's assertion that he cannot even be investigated criminally. That leaves only impeachment as a remedy and as a check on presidential power. And if you don't want a dictatorship, you have to allow Congress to exercise the power of impeachment. And the Congress has a sole power, of, the House has a sole power of impeachment, which means we have the right to get the documents we demand may be subject to certain privileges, but that's not an issue here because no privileges have been asserted. Instead, what has been asserted is that the executive has the right to determine that, they will, that the impeachment inquiry is invalid. They usurp the role of the House. 
this is an assertion of tyrannical power. That's why we must uh, um, impeach the president on this article to let to to um, to to go along with this amendment and get rid of Article Two and say it is in effect it is permissible for the president to deny the impeachment power of the House is a long step away from constitutional government, a long step away from any control over the power of a president, and a long step toward tyranny. I oppose the amendment. I yield back. Mr. Chairman, would who seeks recognition? I just wanted to ask if you would yield for one minute, one quick question on that. I will yield. I, I yielded back, but I'll yield.